Mike. Camera. Action. Well, well, well. If it isn't little big hat Benny. Mess with that guy, will ya? Welcome back to the Filmography, the show dedicated to watching every credited film from an actor's complete back catalogue, from past debut through to present day, in chronological order. Each episode, I'm joined by an esteemed guest to watch and discuss the next entry from the Focus Filmography, and consider how it ranks amidst their career, and whether we can trace any typecasting trends or topic traits or theatrical ticks. For episode 25, I'm joined by one half of Comics Emotion's very own star-crossed lovers, Mike Litt. Unfortunately, minus a lovesick Magnomio, to discuss the 25th big screen appearance of the Stath in his only animated entry to date, Gnomeo and Juliet. We watch, you listen, and hopefully watch along too. So, Mike, one half of the power couple, <laughs> thank you for uh, coming on to discuss for this project so far something completely different. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I'll say to the lovely listeners, Megan was 100% planning on being involved in this. Um, I've had a whole day in London doing work things. So it's not very exciting. But she uh, went to work this morning. She woke up at 6am with a headache. It has been on all day. Had a full teaching day of near enough eight hours. Then had parents evening for another three hours after that. Got home, still with a headache getting worse. And then got home, let Willow out for a wee and then uh, basically puked in the toilet so <laughs> and then All she right. basically fell asleep on the sofa um and then yeah i spoke to her in between this so didn't just leave her and she didn't collapse or anything like that <laughs> but she's basically just had a rough rough time um so that's why she's not here but she sends her regards and uh, when we eventually do the meg next year i wouldn't i would be unable to record without her because mm-hmm. the only reason I even saw that film is because her name is in it and it's the first one we ever saw at the cinema together i think so <laughs> that's a, another fun thing but our, my appearance is funny because the first appearance was on the least statham credited state film ever collateral where it was yeah. really probably five ten minutes of talking of the state mainly films he'd seen prior of his <laughs> and then just talking about the film collateral which is a really cool film i'm glad and weirdly it's been referenced in stuff i've seen since then mm-hmm as well not just uh in the comics emotion family it's like other stuff people mention collateral and i'm like eh, I, I know that because of actually the filmography <laughs> so yeah it's, it's interesting getting to do this um this weird one uh, but if i may talk even more in your own podcast um i was going to say that you inspired me um to watch more jason statham films mm. so since we last spoke and because i listen to every single episode you do because i'm not going to watch every say jason statham film there's actors i adore 
who I do not watch all the films of, <laughs> and Satham I really like. I love him as a person. I think he's a great actor for what he does. I don't like his films enough to do what you've done. So kudos to you, sir. So I listen to every episode, but I was genuinely so inspired hearing you talk about the Statham. I'm like, I need, I need more Stath. So me and Megan, we watched Spy, which when mm-hmm. we last spoke, Megan had seen and I hadn't. And I think, and that's later on in his filmography, isn't it? So you'll be it talking is, yeah. about at some point in the next year it's or so. It's around Meg's sort of time, actually. Oh, nice. Cool. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Because of yourself, and I know Rhea's has mentioned it before, and I think other comics members, comics in motion people, but yourself primarily, like, that film is so good. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, Melissa McCarthy's great in it and everyone else, but The Stath is, I'm sure when you get to the actual episode, you'll talk about it in detail, but he is so unbelievably good. That I know it's the writing is a lot to deal, but like the lines he comes out with and his mm. delivery are so perfect. And I think my favorite Statham of, of all Staths is why I love the Meg so much is once he's, you know, he does the expendables and all that jazz, which obviously you, you recorded the first one of those recently on Max. And like when he becomes this action star and he does these things, it's like, cool, he's an action hero, but he can so take the mech out of himself mm. that my favorite roles is I already know I don't need to watch all the expend. I've never seen the expendables, any of them. Sorry, friends. Um, I've seen bits of expendables too, but like, I like action films, but I'm not as into them as a lot of our other friends are. But like, I know Jason Statham is an action hero in a lot of ways and seeing him like go beyond that, which is what he does in the Meg and mm-hmm. what he does to, to perfectly in spy. I was just like, phenomenal i I was mm. constantly laughing i was just like everything that comes out of Statham's mouth in that film is just gold it's as gold as he is in that erasure video it's just <laughs> so thank you for that and then Lovely also reference. yeah it's good uh good bit of Statham referencing that and then also when we watched this no me and juliet i was still craving the state so i pushed megan and because it was on a sunday um and we watched crank as well oh uh, yes uh, which i enjoyed it was a weird one. Um, I enjoyed it, and I was I was very inspired because I just listened to you and Paul do Crank Two, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And I pushed Megan into it. She absolutely hated it with a fiery, burning passion. And I was like, yeah, I can see why now after seeing it. I did warn her it was weird, but um, she despised that film. Mm-hmm. Um, we will do it. Like, Patreon supporters will be able to hear us. We'll, we'll do a, an afterthoughts on that at some point in the coming uh, weeks or months. Um, I thought it was cool, but. It wasn't, it was weird. I feel, I don't know if I want to watch the second one because I know it ramps up and I'm like, will it ramp up itself to such obscurity I'll like it more or will it ramp up to itself and I'll just not like it as much? But I appreciate the effort and I'm glad you guys spoke about it and mm. I'm glad that I did see it now and experienced it. But I will say, and I know this film is completely different to what I'm about to mention, but like that scene with him and his girlfriend in public in Chinatown, mm. I know the whole kind of thing of the film is let's offend everyone and do horrendously offensive things everywhere, almost like the South Park method. Mm-hmm. But ah, uh, oh, it was so hard to watch and I hated it. And I was like, this is when it was happening. I was like, this is gross and awful. And then when it's happening, I was like, this is the worst thing ever. Not literally. I've probably seen worse things in films, but I was like, this is just terrible. Mm. <laughs> I can't, I hate it. So I thought I'd give you a refresher uh, mainly because I just want to talk to you, Jack, and tell you how much I appreciate the podcast and that you've genuinely inspired me to watch three Statham films. Nothing to do with me having to do a podcast on them, but I genuinely just wanted to watch more Stath. So if it wasn't for this podcast, I wouldn't have experienced Spy, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and I wouldn't have experienced Crank, which... <laughs> <laughs> which you'll always remember. 
I will. I'll never forget that. But I'm, I'm sorry I just waterboarded you in the audience uh, at the start of your show. As I always say, like the point of me doing this is to hear what you have to think, you know, you being you today, but you being the guest all the time. But there's there's those time pack. I mean, yeah, I can understand why people hate crank and they are right to hate it because I think you either, yeah, you go with it or you don't. I would say probably don't watch high voltage because mm-hmm. I think you're going to, you definitely don't let Megan watch high voltage. Oh, she no. will be really she, offended. She, will, she won't. I, I, <laughs> I genuinely think, I don't know how I would convince her to be blunt with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love the fact that you did Noma and Juliet and crank as a, as a double bill. That's <laughs> what two of the most opposite films possible. Absolutely. And yeah, I think yeah. I cheated because with Megan, she was, uh, she thoroughly enjoyed Nomi and Juliet and I'll, I'll sprinkle bits that she liked as you and I discussed this film. She enjoyed it a lot more than I did. Um, but I watched that and she was on a high of like, oh, that was great. I'm really, yeah, I'm up for watching anything. And I was like, I, ah. I, this is like so sickly sweet. I was like, I need to watch something that's Megan's least favorite adjective in the world, gritty. I need to watch something that's got a bit of edge to it or something, just actiony or like just the opposite of Nomi and Julia I needed. And I could not, I think, I, Crank <laughs> is it. But I will say I loved, I love the way Crank was made. I love the fast editing, um, which Megan hated. And now I'm worried because I really want to show her Mad Max Fury Road, mm. which is a much elevated obviously story was what actually happened nothing like crank but the fast-paced editing and the way i think it's a masterclass mad max fury road but like i'm now a little i probably won't mention it to and just see if you notice is there's just those little bits in mad max which is like almost frames like they've cut out or it's mm-hmm, sped mm-hmm. up in you know and I, I love that i love the fast pace where you can't you can almost not be comfortable because it's going like that and that's yeah. what i loved about crank it's like so fast and sh- slow and fast and short slow it's like i can't I can't relax in this film, not just of what's going on content wise, but the speed of things that are happening. Mm. I really liked that element of it. Mm -hmm. There's just a couple of scenes. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like we said, understandably. And I think you're just hitting upon, you know, in both those movies in very different ways, they're obviously helping us understand what their characters are experiencing, aren't they? So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what they're both in. I think Mad Max Road wouldn't watch in the same way, would it? I mean, no, I'm going to assume, without talking to Megan directly, you know, not only is it the content of the film, but the character is pretty unlikable too, and decisions mm-hmm. he makes, and you know, we're asked to root for somebody whose job is to go around killing people, which kind of works in some films and doesn't in others. And I don't think they take great pains to make Trevor a nice guy, really. No. <laughs> so yeah, it's totally understandable, isn't it? But that yeah. you know, in Fury Road, you will root for. What's her name? Her name, her Furiosa? name me. Furiosa. Yeah, thank you. Furiosa. Yeah. So you will root for her, won't you? She's because... the star. Yeah, she, oh, absolutely, she, she is yeah. by far. And Shalise Theron is incredible in everything. And the thing is with Megan is what I've started to notice. I think there's a joke in Disney discussions where she has no consistency for weird. Mm-hmm. She's like, Oh yeah, bed knobs and broomsticks, that's not weird. And I'm like, What are you what are you talking about? It's one, <laughs> it's one of the weirdest Disney films I've ever seen. And she's like, No, it's not weird. And I'm like, what part of it isn't weird? But then she thinks other films are slightly odd are really weird, but she also doesn't think Star Wars is weird at all. And I'm like, what? what, what, what? <laughs> but with with her as an individual, like, I think one of the things I'm really noticing is she is one of the most empathetic people I know, which is one of the reasons I love her so much, because she can actually understand me <laughs> a lot better than many others can. But she's so kind-hearted and so nice and so empathetic that if there's no character she can empathize with or mm-hmm. connect to in some way, she cannot she she can't like the film and so i think that's kind of what i've linked to like with she really likes horror films which is 
odd because you'd think by the other films she doesn't like, she wouldn't be into horror films, but she loves them. As soon as we get to October 1st, that's all she wants to do. Sometimes she wants to watch two in a night. And I'm like, that's almost too much for me. <laughs> and also you're going to fall asleep. So no, it's not. But I think she just really needs to empathize with, with mm. the character to, to be invested, to spend two uh, up to two hours watching them do stuff. And I think in that film, there's not any character you can even, you can re-empathize with. Even his girlfriend, whose name escapes me, like the actress did a fine job, but I feel like all of her personality and agency gets completely just destroyed in that Chinatown scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and even before that, she's not really in it that much. No. So it's, it's yeah. quite... It's quite I don't a, think she's even a character, really. I think Paul and I discussed her as almost like a, an object. NPC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, in a computer um, game, but no, it's totally fair. But the horror movies I get too, like I guess she's empathizing with the characters, hoping they're going to get away as long as there's somebody that's decent enough you can root for. Yeah, I mean, she loves Scream. The Scream movies are her favorite, um, which I would agree. I think I, I had a wrong... I, I thought I didn't read out the screen movies that much because I knew the first one's twist. Um, I think mm-hmm. probably everyone does now. And then I saw Scary Movie the one and four, <laughs> which I hate. Can't I? Like, Megan likes them, and I'm like, where where is the consistency, woman? <laughs> um, but I I hate the scary movie films with a burning passion. Every time I watch them, I hate them even more. They're just those films that do not connect with me. Um, but I thought I really didn't like Scream that much, and then I watched the first one. I was like, that's that's pretty good. And then I watched the sequels, and I'm like, these are all very very close to being as good if not some mm. of them i think some of them are better i know there's mm-hmm. like on pop gorillas you guys all discussed um your own opinions on them and i i think i'm on, on the camp of scream one's amazing but i think scream two and maybe scream three is actually so, could be considered better but they're all they're probably the most consistent horror franchise ever and she loves yeah, that yeah. so yeah side tangent but <laughs> <laughs> all very very relatable to nomi and julia obviously of course yeah <laughs> but to be fair you're watching what films you're watching for the first time no moon juliet was the first watch right for both of you yeah yeah i'd, I'd heard of it i think mm-hmm. i'd seen the trait i thought i i think i saw the poster of it on the side of a bus is what i remember and go and i was like that is not a film for me uh, and then i saw the trailer for the sequel sherlock Holmes, mm. and i was like yeah no uh, I think maybe once i might have looked up the reviews and i was like oh definitely not i was like a kid's film that's rated terribly no mm. Um, mm. I don't agree with the reviews, actually. It's quite slated. It's probably one of the worst rated Statham films, I think. Like... I would have thought so. I think it's surprisingly reviled, but I think you've hit upon something there. Like, straight away, it's a it's a pun title, right? Yeah. And that's enough. Simply, like, that's a shit pun. No way. Uh, and same with Sherlock Gnomes, right? So I think <laughs> it hits people's buttons immediately before they've even had a chance to experience the film. Because I think once you get into it, if you just buy into the ridiculousness... It's a fun ride. It is. Megan loved it. Like genuinely was enamored by this film. Mm-hmm. Like she was so, so happy that we got to watch this film. Like I've got a few notes and things. I was sprinkling her thoughts in, in, but like she loved the puns. She thought mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. so clever and so much fun. And she was like, there's so much effort that's gone into this. And I'm like, to be fair, mm-hmm. to write a script like this, that is actually coherent, there's this level of puns in it is actually impressive. Not just like the the script but visually like mm. one thing that she said was the very start the to be and then the cross through or the the no entry sign through the not to be and like she knows shakespeare much more than i realized like i've seen the romeo and juliet uh baz lerman one mm-hmm. which i appreciate is a great film i hate it i appreciate it's a great <laughs> film i'm wrong in this scenario i cannot i can't understand what the hell they're saying i, I i've read tried reading shakespeare before 
I've seen the Much Ado About Nothing with Emma Thompson and mm-hmm. like the, the more recent E1. Um, and, and, yeah, Keanu Reeves is in that one. I thought he was, but I was like, yeah, am I imagining yeah. that? But yeah, I remember yeah. watching that and I was like, I, I, I have no, no clue what mm. anyone is saying at all. I'm literally watching it and people be like, this is a good comedy. I'm like, I know it's a comedy because people tell me it's a comedy and, lo- and loads of horrendous, horrible stuff doesn't happen. But I, 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 I can't. <laughs> Where am I supposed to love? It's just, it's beyond <laughs> me. I love Macbeth, to be fair, but that's, I feel mm. like that's a much more of a, I watched that as a stage play in school. So I remember watching that. And I think when I, because I was like eight or something. So I don't mm-hmm. think they use Shakespearean language. So I've always understood that. And I, I get Midsummer's Night Dream because I think that's quite a visual thing. You can get what's going on without the vocals, mm-hmm. the, the dialogue. But much ado, if, if you can't know what they're saying, you're just watching these people walk around doing stuff. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know. And Romeo and Juliet was that weird editing with... Um, Baz Luhrmann, which mm. I thought I loved because I thought I loved Moulin Rouge. And then I rewatched it recently and I was like, I don't like this kind of editing. It's a kind of <laughs> jarring and annoying. So Megan loved the puns. She kept pointing out things. She's like, oh yeah, that's, that's, I'm sure you probably know all these things. You may have, even have some list of it. She's like, oh yeah, that's, that, pl- the name of that house is the place in, in Romeo and Juliet. And I'm like, is, okay, I'll take your word for it. It sounds right. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. She's like, oh, they're the two warring families and there's this and there's that. And I'm like, this is I'm I'm too I'm too smart for what the, the jokes are for kids, but right, I'm not yeah. educated enough for the jokes for adults who know Shakespeare, which I think is probably why this film failed, because mm-hmm. I like to think of myself as a semi-intelligent individual, but I can't get to grips with Shakespeare. I think most people probably struggle to a degree. So I feel like there's almost the people who love Shakespeare are really, really young kids. Love Shakespeare, love Nomi and Judah, really, really young kids. Mm-hmm. And maybe very well-read individuals and everyone else is just yeah yeah but that's no but that's really interesting because i watched it you know obviously in this project i'm watching most of these by myself every mm-hmm. now and then my partner Emma sort of chips in if she if it's a film she's seen and she really likes so she watched collateral with me or it's around the time when she thinks i'll give it a go she watched their team with me did not enjoy that but um yeah this was the first one and probably the only one i can sit down and i did and i watched it with both my boys uh one's 11 and one's four and yeah, everyone got a lot out of it. Uh, my eldest has seen it twice before when I said, I need to watch this soon. Oh yeah, I want to watch that. I want to watch that. And then my youngest, as soon as it finished, turned around and said, when can we watch that again? Oh. So it's totally like, you know, it's capturing exactly what you just said there. I mean, I'm an English teacher. So obviously I, I teach this every year, like without fail. Of course, it's difficult and dense language when you first start. And of course, as with anything, the more you read it and the more you study it, the more you do. Now it's kind of second nature. But um, I think you're exactly right. And your your summarization of who connects with this movie is the is the kids with the the funness and the you know, the puns and the silliness and the action and the bright colors and a frog that squirts water in people's faces and <laughs> funny accents and all that kind of stuff. And then those who are picking out like oh um what is it it was like the taming of the glue is the name of the glue stick and all that kind of stuff so yeah i think my partner is a former english teacher as well so we're sitting there like nudge nudge come on did you get that one did you catch that one and there are some movie references in here and we'll Mm. talk about some of those because some of them are not appropriate for a kid's movie but they did it anyway i wonder how many like i'm sure you got most of the movie ones if not all the shakespeare ones but it's stuff full. It feels like a movie that was written by nine people, which it was. Yeah. But 
I think it took a lot of years for it to get made. And it was only once they got there, once they got out and John involved and it was like, click, suddenly this is working. But yeah, I agree with you. I feel like this is really harshly rated. And as you know, I call some reviews from Letterboxd. It is hard to find positive reviews for this movie. It's it's really interesting because this is the kind of film I watched and I was like, it's not really for me. And you know, the director, uh, Kelly um, Asprey, she did um, Shrek 2. Um, and then she was in the art department for loads of other animated films. So mm. she's in the industry. You look at her, the film she's been involved in. It's basically almost probably half of every lovable children's film. It's, it's mm. insane. So she's very talented. And I know you're not the biggest fan of Shrek, but I love the first two Shrek films. And I think Shrek 2 is probably better than the first one. But I think this film, when I, when I watched it, I was like, I enjoyed it. You know, I'm not like, yeah, I was like Megan, you know, but for me, I was like, when I eventually, there's a few films that, you know, as me and Megan are getting near the age and obviously getting married next year, and we're speaking about kids and stuff like that. There's certain films I'm specifically taking note of, which I'm like, I know even if I had a child tomorrow, it would be years before a child would actually be able to comprehend certain things. But it's like, mm. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to show my kid this film because also one little thing, which you, you're probably going to mention as well, because you're very thorough is this is British. It's, <laughs> and that's probably another reason why it failed because it wouldn't, I think a lot of Americans watched it and they don't get the charm. And I only realized that garden gnomes aren't actually a thing in America, really, apart mm. from the last last few decades, because we in certain places in Europe like it so much. But Megan said that. She's like, oh, yeah. She, it's one of those ironic parts where this is probably one of the only films where Megan is so much more educated than I am about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, because, oh, yeah, I, I see why this film wouldn't work in America because they don't have garden gnomes. I was like, they don't? And she's like, oh, they do now, but they, don't, they didn't used to. And I was like, what? And I was like, well, garden gnomes. I was like, well, that's a British thing. And she was like, well, that's kind of European. But yeah, England are the main garden gnome people. And I'm like, are we? I just <laughs> thought it was everywhere in the Western world. I, I, we looked it up and I was like, what? And it was like, yeah, it's like a massive thing over here. And uh, over in other countries, it's not really that. So even just the concept of garden gnomes mm. doesn't necessarily work in America. Mm. And so you, so you start that and you go, oh, I see why. And there's loads of British references and obviously the, the all-star cast, which is amazing. And then just like, okay, so in America, you've already lost the majority of those individuals. And then you've got trying to joke about Shakespeare in a kid's film. And you're like, annoyingly, this film is, it's almost too clever. Mm -hmm. which which is quite frustrating because even though i again i i enjoyed it but i'm like i'm excited to show kids but i'm like it's it's frustrating because i you can see when you look into it why it doesn't work but it's still why it didn't do successfully you know uh critically or, or um review wise but i'm just like mm -hmm. but it should it's one of those annoying things where i was like this film's too clever and it's annoying because i feel bad for all people involved because it, it should have done better and do we know if has tony seen this do we know I don't know. No. I'm hoping after this pod, the comics emotion, uh, people who are more literary than we are, you know, I'd, I'd love for a lot of the, the Femon individuals, because they're all very well read, to like mm. watch this just because A, the British side of it, which is fun, but B, anyone who likes Shakespeare or is interested in writing and uh, even like the uh, J-Knights and things like that. I just think this film is just, it really, uh, let's do a revolution Get this film, we'll turn it into a cult classic. This is wrongly maligned. This film, we need to. It, it's so clever. I just, I can't. I really want to push for how clever it is, even though I didn't love it. I just, it's one of those. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, yeah, Shrek. You're right. I'm not a massive fan of. And um, Kelly Ashbury, 
the director, the male director, just to... Oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, like, Kelly. Shall I try and slip this in? I don't know. No, I'll just go for it. I'll just, just smack Mike across the face with it. Oh, like with a wet fish. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was inadvertent. I assume someone's gender from their name, which is terrible. That's bad of me. Sorry, Listen, friend. as somebody with people that come across me every day with all sorts of names, and sometimes even as people, as young people, it's hard to tell. Um, I've made that mistake many times and I've been corrected. And then we just say, sorry, don't move. We move on. But I think what he brings to this movie is the things I didn't really like, is the silly pop culture references. I'd often really outdated pop culture references. Mm. Like in this movie in 2011, it makes a Matrix reference. Like, yeah. I mean, we're past that, guys. Come on. As Shrek did, and I thought at the time when I saw Shrek, we're past it, let alone another, like, eight years later or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's certainly not perfect. But, yeah, I think we could we could get a, a Nomi and Juliet Assance going on, couldn't we? We could get people looking at it. And commercially, it was a massive success. Like, it made so much money. So, really? cost, yeah, cost $36 million. I made 194 worldwide. Holy, I don't even know anyone who's ever heard, like everyone, <laughs> if I ask anyone, I've granted I'm not the right age, because um, when this, do you say this came out 2011? Yeah. So I was, sorry about to tell you how old I was when this came out. I was about 18 when this came out. Yeah, I was, I was about 21, I think, yeah. <laughs> you certainly look it. Um, I, I think that I was of that age where I was completely, you know, I think a lot of, um young people especially young men and especially mm. ones like myself who are into alternative and heavy music and stuff i kind of go i'm against everything mainstream i'm against all pop music and everything mainstream and everything smiling and happy for like a decade because i'm cool mm -hmm. now i like edgy stuff and in when i was 18 i was still kind of in that phase and i was mm. like i like cool films i like i like fight club and matrix and you know i'm i'm old enough now to appreciate the films my brother showed me when i was like 12 and 13 so i can re-watch predator and i get it and so i was like i'm not watching nomeo julia and then <laughs> when i got to like when i was like 23 before i met megan i got the cinema limitless card and me and my mate callum we'd go and watch every film and including uh, kids' films. We watched that mm -hmm. Storks film, which was DreamWorks. We watched Finding Dory in the cinema. And I can tell you, two 24-year-old guys together in Finding Dory opening weekend, <laughs> all children, and not to stereotype, but from my experience, all of their mums. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, all female guardians primarily. And it was like, we were the sticks in the mud. We were in a great time. But I was like, I, so it's funny I had that renaissance afterwards. I was like, no, I'm going to get back into Disney Pixar films. And if you look, the only Disney Pixar films I haven't seen was in my 10 years of edginess. Mm. So this was in that. But I'm so glad, I'm, I'm, I never, I didn't look into it, but I'm, I'm so glad this did well. Mm. Because if this was a bomb, I suppose they had a sequel, so it probably, they wouldn't have done that if it didn't do well. But I'm at least happy that it did so well, mm. even though no one I know has ever mentioned it to me in my <laughs> life, ever. And I've got nieces and nephews. No one's ever said anything about it to me. Well, I mean, I guess Elton brought some people in, right? Yeah, must have and, done. And 18-year-old Mike wasn't in his bedroom, you know, Saturday. No, you weren't in there Saturday. I wasn't. <laughs> it's on... between Elton and your, your hardcore, no? No, that was not it. But I do now, after, I was like, God, I was like, Elton's got some bangers. And Megan was like, of course he does. And yeah. I, I got into I got into <laughs> Goodbye Yellow Brick Road last year or the year before, which is like decades, decades. Everyone knows that song. If everyone knows that song so much, when I play it, people are like, can you not play this song? I've heard it so many times. And I'm like... I've only heard it once or twice before. Mm -hmm. I'm in the I'm in the honeymoon period of this song and that album, in fact. So, and that, this song, this film made me like remiss. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to put your song back in my playlist. Listen, listen mm -hmm. to that a bit more. And other songs, like Saturday, I'm like a pass. But other Elton John songs, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is a banger. And I like Rocket Man as a cool film. So Elton yeah. really brought something to this film. I thought. 
Although your song, I always go for the Ewan version for Moulin Rouge. So good. The the Ewan version. Ewan McGregor, the Obi Wan Kenobi version of your song from Moulin oh, Rouge. You know, when I typed in your song in mm. Spotify and added to my playlist, I saw the second one was Ewan McGregor Moulin Rouge, and I was like. Oh, Moulin Rouge has got a song called Your Song. Even though earlier I was literally talking about how much you I were. thought I liked Moulin Rouge and don't anymore, I'd completely forgotten. I just thought, oh, it's weird. They've got, why would you call a song the same song as Elton John's song? And it's like, oh, it's a cover, you dunce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a cover it is, too. Oh, I have to listen to that. And I think, so yeah, Elton definitely brought people in, didn't he? And then I'm guessing a lot of people have watched this at school. Because, you know, lazy English teacher at the end of the term when we've been studying Shakespeare. Oh, I can put on Nomeo and Juliet. Or, you know, quick revision homework task. Oh, watch Nomeo and Juliet. Stick on a different, you know, find a different version to watch and talk about how it, you know, changes the bard's words and how it cleverly uses it or adapts it. Or So I reckon maybe a lot of people have experienced it in that way. Now, whether that is a positive thing or a negative thing long term, I don't know. But I think there's probably... A generation of people younger it's hard to believe like i know but maybe people that are even younger than you that were of school age that saw this because their teacher put it on yeah it is funny because i'm i'm the peter parker himself I'm, I'm calling myself i'm the peter parker of um of comics in motion it's um, fair. because a I'm, I'm the most popular one i'm not i'm joking guys I'm, I'm not but the joke is i'm the most popular one and i'm the youngest one and then there's that awesome uh comics in motion uh drawing we got done in the earlier days of comics and i've mm. got that in a frame now next to me um so and i'm i did spider-man that i did spider-dan's the spider-man guy but I, I was the spider-man guy before spider-dan even though my limit my knowledge is very limited but like i'm almost 30 now and so it's like i'm it ancient was, yeah, basically. I'm like, I'm definitely not young. And when Megan talks about what some of the kids at school say and what they're into, and I'm like, as like, I was never in the cool kids or in the mainstream, but I had a grasp of what was going on. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh What's yeah, that? running up the hills come back because of Stranger Things. Like, oh. it's like, I know, I know that was a year or so ago because even that reference is outdated. But I'm like, I didn't even know there were people alive who didn't know that song. And obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, that is, and I've done that myself, literally about <laughs> Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. So I'm, I've done that to myself. I've listened to music and gone, oh, that Bobby Womack song in Pulp, in Jackie Brown, that's a banger. And it's like that song has already been around for decades before that <laughs> film came out. <laughs> so I do it myself. So I'm a dirty hypocrite. <laughs> we all do it. We all do it. And then you know, as you said, you're going to get to experience it yourself. I'm sure in the near future. Then you start thinking that you know I'm going to educate my children right. I'm going to play the proper music and. It's only what you you like, so I can't yeah. get Megan to like half of it. I mean, everybody else is he doesn't like that band, you know, listening to Tony and Max and Dave on um mandatory music and CD, you know, even they're fairly similar in ages, but here you know they're they're differing views and particularly Max when he was listening to the listening of the Foo Fighters and how much he hated them on that episode. Like it's such a narrow band anyway, isn't it? You think you're I'm gonna educate him and we listen to Radio X here a lot because that's what Emma and I listened to when we were growing up. It's all those bands, you know, what I consider proper music because it's people playing instruments. I've, I've had that. I, I simultaneously completely agree, but also some of my favorite artists don't. Well, of but course. I, yeah. It's when, when there's an artist I don't like who don't use instruments, I'm like, ah, I don't use instruments. But when it's artists I do like, I'm like, this is so edgy and cool different. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. So, Always. So you, you hear an artist you like and you go, this band is so good. Not just like an artist that's got a couple of good songs or even a good album, but there's certain artists 
like I, Slipknot I adore but I know they, they're on the extreme side of music so I'm like not everyone's gonna like them even if I think they're one of the best uh, heavy metal bands and they change the industry doesn't matter people some people don't like shouting I can't change that but there's other bands I listen to and I'm like this band is so good I can't fathom how you wouldn't enjoy this and then you get someone who doesn't they listen to it and go I feel nothing about this and I'm like mm. like how do you feel not even an emotional connection but how do you listen to this and there's no part of you that is enjoying it like how is that possible? And then when I eventually have kids, it's going to be, no, this is reality because only now am I starting to like music. My dad liked that he would try to show me. And it's like, that was a long, that was like probably 20 years ago. I think he was showing me almost that kind of stuff. Like when mm. he was showing me Genesis and Bowie and stuff like that, apart from a couple of songs that I didn't mind when I was a kid, even my brother who's of the, who's actually the born the same year as Dave. And even he would show me, he was like, oh, Skid Row is great. And I listened to it, I go, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone who likes Skid Row. <laughs> uh, man, but the music, I do, so I, this is a complete tangent, but I want to ask uh, before I forget, have you seen Nomi and Juliet 2? I haven't ever seen Sherlock Names, no. Mm, I, I wonder, because I, I I, adore Sherlock. Like the, mm. the, 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 the character Sherlock Holmes is great. I've never read Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stuff. I've seen... Because I think Peter Cushing plays him, I think, mm-hmm. at one point. I've seen a bit of that. My brother um, and my sister-in-law, they had like a collection of uh, one of the TV shows, like when the, the one of the really held in high regard TV shows of just like basically every Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story ad- um, adapted. And I watched a bit of that and I was like, that's all right. And then I saw the Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. And I was like, bef- that was, again, I was like, this is really cool. The second one, I think, has some of the coolest action scenes ever in it with the slow motion stuff in the um, forest. I think it's phenomenal. The film is pretty good, but that bit is mind-blowing. And then I saw Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, and I was like, Robert Downey Jr. is not a good Sherlock. I was like, the film's <laughs> all right, but I was like, no, that doesn't. And someone, my brother and sister-in-law were like, we can't watch those films because Robert Downey Jr. does a terrible Sherlock. And I was like, what? And then I watched Benedict Cumberbatch. I was like, ah, oh, no, you might be right. I was like, Benedict Cumberbatch is Sherlock with Martin Freeman, BBC. It's my favorite TV series of all time ever, oh, even wow. beyond anything of Star Wars. Any other show I like it is my absolute favorite. Three of the episodes of it are in my favorite things in existence to watch ever. And so I'm like, I should be like, yeah, more Sherlock Holmes stuff. But I'm like, uh, for me, I've got mm. this perfect, untouchable. I say perfect. There's one episode that's crap, but perfect, near untouchable thing. And I'm like, I don't need any more Sherlock Holmes. But if you said it was good, I would have probably considered yeah. it. <laughs> maybe we'll just do, maybe we'll do, I mean, obviously I don't do Patreon, but maybe we could just, you know, a little special little episode where we, mm. we sit down and watch Sherlock Holmes and we'll just discuss it. Megan would love that, that she would be so enamored to be able to do that. And then she could gush all over this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Gnome, shall we? As we've been talking about Sherlock Holmes, and this is Naomi and Juliet. How do you feel that that, that works here like it's obviously toy story inspired right i literally wrote this is toy story but with garden decorations That's yeah one of my notes and i think there's a famous review of this which you know i guess was used on posters and, and trailers and stuff which was toy story meet shrek which makes sense right i can see from that. the director of shrek 2 of the pop culture references and so do you think it works like the concept of the gnomes and them coming to life in that toy story type way I think any criticism that you can give of this film, mm. you you have to give of of that concept at least mm. the concept of because I was even criticizing it when me and Megan were watching it, and then every time I was just like, but that exact criticism is completely transferable to Toy Story, mm. and the Toy Story films, all four of them, 
at the moment. I know there's a five one coming out. I think all four are great. I controversially think the fourth one's better than the third one. I don't get the Ooh. hype of the third one. I like them all. I think they're all like solid between eight and nine out of ten. I think the first two are god tier and almost untouchable. And that, excuse me, but then the third one, I I didn't watch it when everyone else did. So it, it oh, it's in that period. I, well, yeah, exactly. This is what I mean. It's, it's <laughs> my. I used to think I was so cool and clever and edgy when I was younger. And now I'm looking back, I'm like me just wearing black and listening to Slipknot all the time. This did not make me cool. Um, but it's. I didn't watch it when everyone else did. I watched it afterwards, and then so I knew the ending bit. And everyone's like, "It's the saddest thing you've ever seen in your life." You'll cry. And then I watched. It, I was like, "This is not that sad, actually, for me." Um, but then I watched the fourth one. I was like, "The animation is phenomenal. The water effects are incredible. Oh my god, Bo Peep actually has a character now." This is, mm. this is amazing. I love it. And the ventriloquist dummies are terrifying. Um, so I was like, I, I'd love all four of those films in different ways. But the, it, you can only really watch them if you completely throw out the whole concept of the films because it literally makes no sense. And they joke about it in the fourth one. They get mm. a plastic fork, they put googly eyes on it and a pipe cleaner, and now it's sentient. And you're like, this this con, they're poking fun at it because of how it doesn't make any sense. Mm. But it, it doesn't make any any sense and the more you watch it you go this can't you 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 literally can't think about it mm. and with this film i was just like i made a criticism a couple of times at the start and then i was like i i have yeah. to just <laughs> yeah this yeah. is nonsensical equally but there were bits the main the main issue i had the main confusion i had and it's the only thing that isn't transferable to toy story is the garden gnomes talk about they're the ones who do the gardening but the mm. humans are the ones who we've seen do gardening. So, so who, who who is it? Are the humans just gardening loosely, and then they just notice these really amazing plants growing? Like, did the humans have a toilet in their garden for some bizarre reason? Decide to make a garden around it, didn't put a flower in it, and just left it as a toilet in your garden, like trailer trash <laughs> in Britain, and then suddenly a nice flower started growing out of it. And I'm like, who's gardening? And then I, I get, think about yeah. And I, that, I think, that's my I think, issue. I think you're right. Their concepts, I guess, as I understood it, was people garden, but then the names tidy up and do more and make it better. And and we're just so convinced that we're so amazing that we believe, you know, that like you know, nature happens by itself. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The thing that I found more confusing was I can buy names being alive, as you said, just like the toys can be alive in Toy Story, but then it it doesn't seem to define and make clear what other things are allowed to be alive. So the flamingo's yeah. alive. Yeah. But so why isn't the well alive? Why can't <laughs> the well just suddenly... So that was the thing I wasn't sure of, like what makes these things alive? Mm-hmm. But I think what it did do well was use the concept to tell some really clever jokes, particularly about like when you're a gnome and you've been made in a particular form or holding a particular thing you're stuck with that forever so the the you know the mankini gnome or the two gnomes which have the like the panel behind them so they can't separate so yeah. i thought those jokes are well done yeah or the fishing one and he was just like hey yes. i caught a fish and he's just this is my life i can literally can't do anything and i was like that's funny yeah. but also quite sad like <laughs> and the fish was like i'm free i can't swim <laughs> yeah that was good yeah yeah because oh, he was like i've got one i've got one yeah that's oh. right made me think of um in it's not spoilers now is it at the end of um mando season three Mm. like the best bit of that was no no yes yes no with grogu in um yeah uh, ding ding grogu sorry in um in ig11 yeah no 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 i thought those bits worked brilliantly 
I agree. It, that that I I I I love Mando series three. I'm I'm people seem to really dislike it. Oddly enough, I don't know why. I'm like they're all. Oh, I think Mando series two is probably still the best, but the series three is is really good. Mando series one I think is the weakest, but I'm like it's all not the best Star Wars. It's all just fun episodic stuff. But yeah, I did I didn't make that connection, but now that you've said it. I I see what you're saying, and yeah, I just I feel like this film is. It's got a lot of heart, and mm. there are bits again which we will criticize because that's the point of a, of a film podcast. But like, as you say, like, so the plastic flamingo is real, but the well isn't, and the toilet isn't, even though the toilet is porcelain. Which I'm mm. glad the toilet isn't real because that's a horrendous existence. <laughs> but it's that kind of thing which Toy Story almost explained, which is like as soon as you put eyes and basically a face, as soon as you put a face on anything, mm-hmm. it basically becomes a sentient being. Mm. I think. I, I think that's loosely what it is, but yeah. there are other elements that don't work. Like, I'm so confused about the lawnmower racing at the start. I'm like, A, why are you doing that? Just to prove who's better, I think. And that's what Megan said to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. it still makes no sense to me. But also, like, I know Toy Story, they do stuff, and you're like, there's no way humans wouldn't get that. Apart from the bit where they traumatize Sid forever, <laughs> which is horrendous to do to a child, regardless of how mean he's being to things he doesn't think are real. So although he's a weird kid, he's actually not that evil. He's a bit of a dick to his sister, and then he he rips apart bits of plastic. We've all done that. I used to throw, I used to put Bionicle Legos at the top of stairs and throw spoons mm. at them. And Mr. Potato Head, I used to have that. I used to throw cutlery, always spoons so I wouldn't hurt anyone, you know, at the top of the stairs to try and knock it down the stairs mm. and fall them apart. Yeah, yeah. I'm not an evil child. I didn't think that Mr. Potato Head could feel that. If, if, one of the, if one of my toys came alive at me, that I would still be traumatized today from that. So, <laughs> justice for Sid. Um, but, yeah, with the lawnmower stuff, I'm just like, uh, why were they doing that? And also, I know the humans are like, oh, why is my lawnmower broken? But I'm like, mm. there's no one. I know Toy Story again is this is the criticism Toy Story, but I'm like, no one in in the whole area, no one was like, can you hear those lawnmowers? Can you down this alleyway where yeah, people yeah. jog past, as we've actually seen, mm. you've got hunt maybe hundred probably nearer 20 or 30, but like a lot of porcelain beings live in this alleyway, racing lawnmowers for several minutes at a time, very loudly. And you're like, no, no one saw it. It doesn't matter. And you're like, is it the most just, oh, people go to work and then suddenly everyone in the entire neighborhood is gone. Mm. And it's like those bits. I was like, what? Okay. I mean, what's your point? Can't you hear these? What? Uh, conservatively 50 100 between the two gardens gnomes talking to each other because they're not quiet yeah exactly yeah yeah (laughs) can you hold this massive row that's going on between these two sets of gnomes (laughs) yeah the law of my stuff i mean i'm just assuming fast and furious maybe i don't know like they they just want to tap into different crowds don't they i think that's where these nine writers perhaps oh i'm going to bring this from here and i'm going to bring that from there i'm not sure in 2011 how many how where we were in the fast franchise at that point i don't think it quite started to hit its peak had it kind of what five to eight would we argue is five yeah I've, they're the ones i've seen actually i i watched all of them with someone i used to date i watched all the fast films because she liked them in exchange mm. for her watching all the star wars films and Fair enough. I'm, I'm actually Good deal. Know, I, I want yeah i know I, i've lucked out there um but i did want to it's like I want to show Megan all the fast films. I know Chris had some interest in us doing like a like one a month or something, but it's like the prob- the only reason I haven't done that with her is because a although I think five 
five and six, I think, are genuinely brilliant action films. I don't give a crap what anyone says. Amazing films because also The Rock and The Stath, who I think are in those two, they and even that Kurt Russell shows up and I think Glenn Close and I'm like, <laughs> what? And they're all such good actors. They're basically ripping on all the other actors who aren't as good as them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, is it is it Tyrese? The guy. Oh, he's awful. Yeah, Tyrese. He's the, is, he's I don't know just, how he keeps getting employed. He's just the worst. He's the worst actor and the worst character. <laughs> and he's just sorry, Tyrese, if you're listening. He, but he, he, another person that just shouts all the time. He's oh, just, just awful. And I, I don't like the first. I know a lot of people go the fir- first fast film's good. The second one's not so good. The third's terrible. I skip the third altogether. Then the fourth is okay, and then the fifth really picks up. Mm-hmm. I think the first two are horrendous. I think the first one's okay. But I think the second one is terrible. And I'm like, I can't make Megan watch two films I hate <laughs> when she doesn't care about films, about movies, uh, uh, cars at all, and then push her to watch action films she isn't going to like because she mm-hmm. doesn't like action films. But yeah, I think, so I, I went on a massive tangent there. So the thing is, that, yeah, I think once the Stath and The Rock get in it, I think they really balance it out because they kind of poke fun at how stupid everyone is and they ramp it up. And it's like, oh, this is like a good action film wrapped in a car, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Cheesiness. I think you yeah, could start, you can safely start at five, couldn't you? Oh yeah, easy. five's like, like the really launch of the franchise, really, and that's when The Rock comes in. I think yeah. the state cameos in six, but actually is in seven as right. the bad guy. Yeah, so that's that. That's what, and I think like five to eight is kind of the the peak, isn't it? Because eight is Charlize Theron as well. Oh yeah, she oh, she's so good and everything. So uh, um, anyway, let's. This is not a fast <laughs> podcast, but more Jason Statham. <laughs> well, that's what American. I thought the connection more was going to be. Yeah. Well, obviously you haven't tackled fast yet, so it's uh No, and I won't until seven because six he's uncredited because he's just literally in it in the in the end credit scene, you know. Like okay. Flashing back to three, which you haven't watched, I killed Han and now I'm coming to get you. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I remember seeing that and I was like when I, I said to the person I was watching it with, I was like, What's this? And they were like, Oh, it's the, the third one. I was like, Oh, I don't care. <laughs> no, fair enough. <laughs> I've seen I've seen clips and trailers and reviews of the third one. I'm like, I'm not gonna watch that film. The cast for this day, as we're talking about actors, and is mad, isn't it? The vocal talent in this is broad. Oh yeah, the best word I would use, I think. Yeah, not all of high quality. <laughs> um, you know, I love Dolly Parton's little thing in it, and I find it funny she's the only character who's got any breasts or any cleavage mm. of any kind. You've got mm. a gnome in a mankini, but all the women in this—I say all—I think the three of them—they're all just how a garden gnome woman generally looks like i suppose and then the yeah. dolly one's like oh here's some cleavage and i'm like that's funny <laughs> it's not over, over the top but i will say I, I i get why there's lots of uh elton john stuff in there that's cool can someone please explain to me why ozzy osborne is in this film what is he doing oh as the reindeer you mean talking yeah, what, a bit what, yeah i thought <laughs> there was Aussie i voice. thought there's gonna be an ozzy osborne i was like, oh there's a lot of songs mm. in this i was like, oh there's gonna be an ozzy osborne song that's how they got him in it or he, there's going to be a joke about him doing something, but it was like, no, he's he's literally just voicing a reindeer, and I'm like, mm. but he his voice is kind of annoying. And I like Ozzy Osbourne's music, but I'm like, his voice is kind of annoying. He can't really act, and what? <laughs> he's not English, is he? Yeah, he is. He is yeah, yeah. He's at least yeah. English. Okay, it's because yeah. I've it's because his wife is American. Is that right? No, she's English as well. I think. All English. I, yeah. I think maybe because well, I guess the kids are probably classed as American because they were born. I think it's because I've yeah. I've seen the Osbournes. And I think because that that whole idea mm-hmm. of show, the the format of that show is such an American format, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. all of I think because Sharon is, she's they all are in America. I think they all live in mm-hmm. America and stuff. So I think maybe that's why I wrongly perceived that. But even then, I'm like, even though he's English, I'm like, of all the English singers, like we have one of the greatest music scenes of all time. You've got Elton John in this film. 
why is Ozzy Osbourne? Mm. I want to know. I was like, did Kelly just really like Ozzy Osbourne? Or are they mates? Or there was someone hanging out with Ozzy Osbourne one day and said, do you want to just pop in the booth and stay? <laughs> and I thought he did one line. I was like, oh, it's going to be one line. But he actually, he has probably a paragraph of dialogue. And I'm like, mm. why is he? Why, why is Ozzy in this film? It's not good. And I don't know why. No, I don't know either, because again, you know, we we're talking about what's culturally relevant. I mean, the Osbournes must have long been off the air by this point. Well, no, and also Sharon would be in it. That would be more culturally. Yeah, yeah. No was kids are going to know. That kind of stuff, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a great question. I couldn't tell you. But then why is Hulk Hogan in this? Because his part is so funny and so <laughs> amazing that that's okay. That, sure. That dumb, it's so cliche and tropey, but anytime it happens in any film where it's a a device or something being sold that's really over the top and stupid with explosions in it, mm. I'm I'm sold. It's so dumb and so predictable, but anytime it's like, this is the greatest thing in the entire yeah. world. You like women, <laughs> don't you? You like beer. Well, this is an exploding beer cup in the shape of women. Makes you a man. And like anything like that, any mm. film, I'm 100% in. So I get, I get Hulk Hogan being in it, mm-hmm. um, but not Ozzy Osbourne. But I'm going to say something. Now Ooh. I... Feel the controversy coming. I adore James McAvoy. I think Mm -hmm. he's one of the greatest on-screen actors of a generation. You know, I think, you know, it's cliche, but I think DiCaprio is pretty hard to beat. But James McAvoy, I think, along with Sam Rockwell um, Mm -hmm. and Oscar Isaac, I think are probably the three of the best actors on screen for not just their acting talent, but like the amount of films they've been in that are completely different genre and off the wall, and they've all done films that are a bit weirder, especially Rockwell, you know, doing things like Gentleman Broncos and uh, McAvoy doing like filth and trance. Like mm-hmm. they really go into it. And I, I love them as people and they're phenomenal actors and they can do anything they want. Apart from this, <laughs> James McAvoy, apart from Ozzy Osbourne, was generally the worst voice actor in this whole thing. And I'm like, but I know voice acting is definitely a talent to it and not mm-hmm. every actor can. But where all these other actors can do it completely fine and like michael kane i don't think really cares about this film this film i think is another one you asked him about it'd be either yeah. i don't remember or it bought me a boat and yeah, i'm like he did 10 minutes of work on this probably from it from his own house i would have thought yeah I exactly mean. and he sounded like he was putting a huge amount of effort in even though he probably wasn't <laughs> maybe it's just his voice but even like maggie smith i didn't even recognize it was her initially i was like this mm. doesn't sound like maggie smith but in a good way i was like oh she's kind of getting to the character emily blunt completely fine she sounds a bit different sounds a bit younger works the, the, my biggest my biggest problem with this film apart mm. from the, some of the plot is genuinely James McAvoy maybe he just can't do voice acting I don't know if he's done anything else but that was another actor I was going to say to you about his his filmography I think it's quite long now that'd be a really interesting one to do mm. because of trance and filth and like he he's done so many different films I love it he's but, in the X movies as well and stuff as well so he's done the big budget yeah yeah, but I hated him in this. I, and I was I, when I saw the listing, the cast list, I was most excited because I've not seen a bad James McAvoy film, or at least a film I haven't liked him in. Mm. I've seen X-Men Apocalypse. So I think I've seen a bad uh, James McAvoy Oof, film. Yeah, but if you've that, seen that, you have seen a bad James McAvoy And that's annoying because it's also a bad Oscar Isaac film. And I think it's the ah, only, point, yeah. <laughs> only film Oscar Isaac's ever done a bad role in. And it's not his role. It's the characters about as interesting as a bit of cardboard. But... So I'm powerful as a god, but I'm going to stand around and do nothing and get these four weaker mutants to do my bidding, even though three of them barely have any powers at all. And Magneto is like the second most powerful being in existence. So I'm like, this makes no sense. Mm. But this is not a podcast about that. Sorry, friends. Um, yeah, James McAvoy. I just feel like he puts so much effort into everything he does, but this genuinely feels like he just phoned it in. It just felt mm. like 
maybe they had him for like a day and it was like first cuts of everything. And maybe it was when he was like becoming a superstar and he just couldn't go back for reshoots or he was trying to do something different because he can do so many great accents. Like it took ages for me to realize he's actually Scottish. And you're like, I think he's Scottish, isn't he? He is Scottish. Yeah. 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 You hear him talking in that interview with no accent and you're like, Oh, that's your normal voice. And then he puts on more with filth and et cetera. And he can do American, all kinds of stuff. And then you hear him in this. And I'm like, this is not good. No, it's really interesting. I was trying to, as you're talking, scroll through, but he definitely has done other voice work. He was in the Watership Down TV adaptation from a couple of years ago. A few years I haven't ago. seen either. I know that I know loosely the plot is on my film list, but I know how soul crushing it is, and I just have to yeah, build exactly the emotional shield to watch the original Watership Down. Is the remake Arthur Christmas it? the same? I've not. Oh. I haven't seen the remake either. He was in Arthur uh, Christmas as well. The I, same year I like as this, that. weirdly. I I like I remember watching that film. I think it was when I was full of let's say Christmas cheer. So I can't remember most of the film. Mm. Um, I remember bits and pieces of it, but I did really enjoy it. I thought there's a different, interesting take on Christmas. Mm. It's not it's not as good as Klaus because that film's amazing. But like, I was like, this is a quite a good film, and he plays basically a child in that. So I was like, so yeah, it's when you say that because I was like, oh, James McAvoy's in Arthur Christmas. I watched that and I watched it and liked <laughs> it, and I think he did great at voice acting. So, mm. did you find him in this film as bad? Probably not as bad as me because I'm actually I feel emotionally offended by this because I love him so much. Do you know what? I hadn't really noticed it whilst watching, but now you've brought it up and I'm thinking about it and I'm you know looking at the list of people that are in this as you said Michael Caine, Emily Blunt, Maggie Smith, obviously a, a key person we're going to talk about in a minute. Ashley Jensen I thought was excellent as Nanette the Frog. So now I'm sort of thinking about him in comparison to other people. Yeah, it definitely feels like the weaker element of the movie. Definitely. And I know it's a bugbear of Rears that she talks about a lot is, you know, actors being cast in animated movies when there are people whose profession this is. And we know it is kind of stunt casting. It's done to get people in. Yeah. But there are certain actors who obviously do pull it off better than others. And yeah, I wonder, like with Arthur Christmas coming out the same year as this, had he recorded that first and he was a bit done with the project? you know, with doing voiceover work or did he do this first? And it's the opposite. Like this was almost a dry run. And he sort of thought, mm, if I did this, it would probably be better. So by the time he's doing Arthur Christmas, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if it might just be direction in a way, because mm, of course. I, mm. I feel like a lot of these, you know, Emily Blunt, she's very committed. Like I watched um, Edge of Tomorrow. I've, I've seen it before. I adore, I think it's one of the most underrated oh, films ever. I completely agree. It's, phenomenally good even when you know the premise which they tell you in every trailer and poster ever existed and they get right to that point within like 10 minutes well 15 minutes of the film and it's just i forgot how good it was and the ending and it, oh it's i showed it to megan and she i told her the concept and spoiler alert it's groundhog day but sci-fi and i've not seen a bad groundhog day film mm-hmm. groundhog day is great it's got problems because of its age and bill murray's a bit but like trying to loosely ignore that the film is still amazing mm-hmm. palm springs of andy sandberg yeah, amazing yeah. Um, oh, there's another one. Oh, uh, Happy Death Day, amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like th- I the trope of it. If you do it right, and I've not yet seen it done wrong, it's so I, I love doing the same. Doing, it's one of the reasons I love the butterfly effect in in certain mm-hmm, ways, mm-hmm. which is just kind of reliving a moment but trying to tweak things and make things better or like video gamey. But yeah, in, in Edge of Tomorrow, it's because Emily Blunt, you, I saw in that, and I was like, nothing against women who are muscular, but generally speaking, with me, I'd rather a chunkier woman with a bit of extra meat on their bones than a muscly woman and i think emily blunt's very pretty um but i saw her in that and i was like whoa she's really muscular 
but so she's really committed to the role, which is mm-hmm. the point I was making until I'm basically being objectifying of women. But I was like, she's really muscular. <laughs> but I'm I'm probably the most attracted to her I've ever been, even though usually that's not for me. Mm-hmm, but I was mm-hmm. like, the the difference from what I've seen her in recently ish was probably a quiet place. I was like, oh, you've you've committed to this film, and obviously she's she's a phenomenal actor as well. But I was like, when I saw that film again, I should Megan. And Megan loved it. And I was like, thank God. Thank God you love mm-hmm. that film because it's, it's hard to hate, I find. But like with Emily Blunt, I feel like she commits so much. My point mm-hmm. was before objectifying women, uh, it was like she was so, she's so good in almost everything. She commits so much. I feel like she would just read the script and go, okay, I'm playing my a young girl in essence. So I just make my voice younger. And I think Maggie Smith probably loosely did something similar, just changed her voice a bit. Michael Caine's Michael Caine, but you don't mm-hmm. need him. It's like Morgan Freeman. You don't need either of them to ever put on any accent ever, or they shouldn't. But then I think the rest of the cast, because they're not as well known, the main cast, like, mm-hmm. um, who did you mean? Sorry, Ashley Jensen, Ashley Jensen did you say so... for the frog? Yeah, so she was from In Extras with Ricky Gervais. Oh, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, which I think is Ricky Gervais's best work. I've not seen a lot of his stuff. I haven't seen Derek or Afterlife, which I've heard is good, but very sad. And I'm like, mm. um, but I think The Office changed the genre. But I think Extras is better um, in, my, in my view. I think it does something that I haven't really seen. It really helped the actors take the mick out of themselves mm. but she's in that year she's phenomenal because she plays the role amazing and you don't know like i didn't watch that I go oh, someone from extras but I, yeah, i've yeah. seen her in other stuff i'm like oh so she played that's what i think a decent voice actor has to do and i think that's why um alan tudyk is such an underrated mm. actor because we recently finished firefly as well gonna watch serenity next but like in that i was like he's my favorite character He's in Dodgeball. That's amazing. Mm-hmm, he obviously mm-hmm. is. And then you see him. Oh, he's done like every, apart from Andy Serkis, like for about a decade, every CGI'd character in any mm. sci-fi film. He was an iRobot, which is a favorite of mine. He's obviously K2SO in Star Wars. He's done so much and loads of voice work for animated stuff. And then the re- the point I was getting to was when he does it, you don't know it's him all the time. Yeah, and I yeah. think when it was Ashley Jensen, I was like, you, you are encapsulating the role. I just think you're a porcelain crazy frog woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and everyone in this is either playing themselves enough that it's kind of like, oh, it's them, but it's British, it's fine. Like Steve Merchant is a Steve Merchant-esque mm. character, which is fun. But James McAvoy felt like he changed his voice, made it worse. Like if he was just talking normal in Scottish, I think it would have worked better. Mm. And also because he had the... I'm being the worst in this podcast. I was about to say because he has the beard... <laughs> more yeah, scottish yeah. because all scottish men have white beards <laughs> which is not true and i'm sorry to scottish listeners but i don't know who have you offended you've offended women because all I... women all women a couple of times at least uh, yeah now, all scottish people yeah i'm not doing well i'm sorry anybody friends. called kelly yeah male I, and female i did i've i've not done well i've not i'm trying to do it's because i was talking about crank and now i'm trying to offend everyone like crank <laughs> just getting into getting into jason statham as chef chelios bro absolutely <laughs> the worst of all the statham characters one could like encapsulate <laughs> like of all the ones i could become of all his cool douchey characters yeah you know, why couldn't i just be the disgruntled character from meg you know why couldn't i be that instead <laughs> i'm being a horrible misogynist <laughs> well tibble isn't too far away in this is he statham is tibble in this you know he's a pretty yeah. mean guy as far as gnomes go he's pretty mean I don't know many gnomes, so I don't know how mean he, they're meant to be. He cuts off another gnome's hat. That seems pretty cruel. Yeah, that's it's it's weird. That part threw me off because I'm like, okay, clearly the gnomes can't take their hats off or mm. remove anything. So surely that would hurt. But it, the gnome just seems fine. My eldest was... Yeah, I didn't know how to answer this question because she was saying to me, oh, what's the point? Like, what's the relevance of the hat? And I was thinking, well, 
in another couple of years if you watch this again let's talk about you know kind of like penis envy and all that kind of stuff but with the younger four-year-old here at the moment let's maybe leave that conversation for another day but i'm assuming you know there was a lot of talk of like he's got a big hat was what was supposed to be going on there another one of those inappropriate for for kids jokes that's in this movie but um yeah i don't know i mean there's loads of, loads of issues there because they obviously i say they obviously i know english i know shakespeare i'm so smart um that character benny is like an amalgamation of two famous shakespeare characters of benvolio and mercutio so famously Mikusho dies in Romeo and Juliet, which kicks off that next part of the the story. And obviously the de-hatting of Benny is is this film's version of that. They decided to steer away from too much death and suicide, unsurprisingly. I'm glad they got they didn't do the suicide, but they do still do death. Like there's the bit like when they sort think sort of it's yeah, it 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 toes a line. Yeah, and I think if you watch this, obviously you watched it with um, children, but like I think if you watch this, yeah, with a an inquisitive ten year old or so, mm. maybe even an eight year old, if they were a, a switched on but sensitive soul, I feel mm. like mm-hmm. you'd get into some territory that's maybe a bit too much at that time, you know, because there's certain kids who, when I was eight, you know, I had older brothers and stuff, so when it was talking about death and all that stuff, I I was never scared of those things, those concepts. Mm. But I know there are others who aren't well, which is completely fine. But it's like when when, when Nomeo gets almost hit by that car, even mm. when it happened, I think I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, when I watched it, I was like, that's <laughs> wow. I was that, and then I was like, I was like, I know they say at the start, this isn't going to be like, and I was like, surely I was like, this is going to be a fake out in some way. But I was like, even this is like a brutal fake out. I was like, mm. Like that, like, like, like there's porcelain gnomes I don't really care about, and even I'm like, that is harrowing. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously, as the state goes as well, yeah, Tybalt does get shattered only to be super glued back together for the closing musical number, which is a real cop out. But the end of this film is the worst part <laughs> by far. I, I kind of, we, I don't know if I'm jumping too far. No, but... no, it's, I mean, listen, if people don't know the plot of Romeo and Juliet, this is essentially Romeo and Juliet. Just they don't just die. Just fairy Yeah, absolutely. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of get the end because they because it opens on a stage, doesn't it? And it does the yeah does the Roman Juliet prologue and the love. curtains open and that prologue is amazing. And it like they try to yank the name because he's taken to it. So all of that kind of works, doesn't it? So I guess by the end they wanted to recreate what it's like on a stage when all the cast come out and they take their bows, don't they? But it yeah, it doesn't quite work, and also like those musical numbers like they do them in shrek as well yeah. i'm never a big fan of those kind of like big musical number endings yeah it it works I, sometimes yeah but not as often as execs i think like to think it works mm. on the odd occasion whereas mm. a studio execs like every kids film ever needs a musical number and i'm like the i don't mind a starting up musical number whereas like we're cleaning and doing all silly dancing whatever i'm fine with that but i think my issue here wasn't that there was a musical number i feel like it it felt like the plot finished. It felt like someone had done the script, but they'd lost the last four pages. Mm-hmm. They'd already CGI'd and created this musical number because that was probably the first, one of the first things they did almost in my cynical mind. So right, we've done the important stuff. We've spent all the money on this lovely musical number that we can use for promo or whatever. And then we'll do the rest of the film. We'll do the musical number, then we'll start the film. And then they, they got to the last few pages of the script or even the edit or the last bits of the plot. And it's just a whole scene has been taken out. Mm. 
and I just feel like it got to the end. I was like, I was kind of along this for a ride. And then that happened. I was like, whoa. And it was just them singing, dancing. I was like, have I, <laughs> did I just fall asleep for like five minutes and completely miss any mention of anything else? It was like, oh, Romeo and Juliet might be getting together. And then oh, suddenly they're all dancing mm. together. We're fine in the end. And you're like, what? <laughs> I guess it's known paradise now that blue and reds have combined, right? I guess, but they, they barely even, because they don't even talk, they don't even talk about it. That's the weird thing. Mm. The, the, What's the terraforminator or whatever it is, which yeah. is hilarious. And Megan was like, that's terrifying. Megan was like, imagine if that was like your human person and that thing was going I off. do like the um just in touch with sex. I do like like the, the small print of that. It's like, you know, not for domestic use, not for industrial use. And there's like all the list of stuff that it comes up with is hilarious. Yeah. One of them is like causes um it's something about breathing, because when it when it goes up really quick, <laughs> one of the first things like causes bad breathing it's not quite that but it's something like those lines. Um, it was like what but I, I like those as another trope i love where it's like you know take this pill make you happy take this pill organ failure is guaranteed you know but uh, it just felt like the terraforminator it felt like they ran out of money bluntly it felt mm-hmm. like they, they as i say they did the musical number and then they did the terraforminator thing which was quite a cool scene and quite harrowing but then it was like there was all this chaos and then the humans just kind of noticed it and that was then there was the musical number, and I'm like, but there's not even been one sentence about them combining their gardens or anything. It, mm-hmm. it just, the fence was gone, and all it needed was a minute for mm-hmm. them to go, you know what? All this conflict is wrong. Why were we even mad at each other anyway? Mm-hmm. We should combine our gardens and be happy. And then at the same time, you see then the humans, not humans, because you don't really ever see any human faces, which I really like. Where and it's also cheap and easy, and you don't get the uncanny valley <laughs> Sid problem from Toy Story. You just have them going, look, we've us humans, we've got this bad blood against each other for some reason. I thought they were like a, a oh, there used to be a couple or something, but it never really gets mentioned or explained. No, yeah, each other for no reason at all. It's like if I had a neighbor who like gardening as much as me, I'd be well happy, not having a go at them and yelling at them. But that's a whole other thing. But it it was it just felt. Why was then? Because the confusing thing about it again is linking with the the, the living porcelain gnome beings. <laughs> this is the problem with it. Um, this educated man um, is they don't have control of the gardens being separated. It's the humans who do. Yes. Even if we argue the gnomes grew everything, they they can't stop humans rebuilding a fence. And like I'm fine with the neighbors I have who I live with. Um, you know, we're semi sorry, end of terrace. So we're connected to our neighbor um in the wall I'm pointing out, which no one can see because no video. But lovely neighbor. But I don't want to share their garden. I don't want to share my garden with anyone. Like even probably friends. I just it's me and Megan's garden and mm-hmm. Willows. Mm-hmm. No one else's. Even if I'm on the best terms with my neighbor, I'm not gonna share my garden with them ever. So if you hate your neighbor, especially, even if you suddenly it resolves, the only solution for me is what I thought they were going to do in the film, which is they were going to get together. I thought either they used to be together mm. or they were going to get together, but it, that never happens. And I'm like, if that would make sense, if the, if the couple were like, I don't know how this happened or a freak accident, we can't almost we can't afford to repair all this damage. Why don't we just combine our houses and it's cheaper? And that's just oh, we've actually got quite a lot in common. And all that stuff. Like, I thought that was kind of what's going to happen. And I mm-hmm. thought, like, obviously, you know, the gnomes are going to be happy together and stuff. But it just, there's, there's not even a sentence about it. it. It really jarred me. No, I think you're right. I mean, you know, let's play devil's advocate for a sec. You know, kids don't give a shit about that, do they? They're like, oh, good. It's the end. Happy dancing. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I, can and, get out um, I can move yeah, around again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, 
in the play, of course, you're dead, you're dead. Oh, okay, I guess we shouldn't feud anymore. The end. So I guess to play devil's advocate, kind of that's how the play ends. It's just like all of a sudden. And yeah, kids and probably parents are like, let's get them home. They're hyped up on sugar and all this color and music. And <laughs> I agree with you. Storytelling wise, it doesn't work, but I kind of get why it just kind of, let's get out. I, I get, I understand why it's a get out. Did your kids say anything about what I've just moaned about? No. No. <laughs> So we just switched on a levy It was like, why is the why is the hat thing? They no. clicked onto that, but not the. No. He got they, the hat. But... They clearly just. I think it's the connecting the dots. It's it's so <laughs> it's so so obvious that they're all happy together. You almost don't need to talk about it. But for yeah. me, that's not enough. Yeah, <laughs> not for this thirty-year-old watching a film aimed at like eight-year-olds. Not for me. I need a, re- a real world discussion about how society is going to work from this point <laughs> forwards. I, I will say one thing, because um, some of my notes here I've got um, is I wrote the cast is insane, both in a good way and a bad way. Um, and then clever, uh, fairly clever pun filled dialogue, mm. um, you know, lots of jokes and sketches, like every probably third or fourth line of dialogue almost, if it's not explicitly only moving the plot on loosely, because all the Romeo and Juliet scenes are so boring, apart from the Flamingo, who's amazing, but um, like it's voiced by Jim Cummings. And I was like, who is that? And then obviously it's Winnie the Pooh. And I, I know him <laughs> as Hondo Anaka from Rebels oh, and course, Clone yeah. Wars first. That's how, that's how I recognize the voice. I was like, that, is that Hondo? <laughs> um, but it's not. It's Winnie the Pooh who also voices Hondo. Um, but I wrote that, you know, clever, fun-filled, fun, pun-filled dialogue. Lots of jokes constantly. Like the more hmm. almost jokes per second or puns per second than anything I've ever seen. But one thing I haven't mentioned yet, which I think was amazing, is the sound design mm-hmm. is so good. That that when every porcelain gnome touches another gnome or anything else, the sound is so on point. And you have mm. the slightly different objects that touch themselves. Oh, I said touch each other and I changed that to make it <laughs> not sound as creepy and it made it worse. Um, whenever there's a contact between mm-hmm. porcelain and anything non-porcelain, it really does sound like a porcelain touching wood, the plastic, when the, the flamingo falls, it sounds like you've dropped a plastic flamingo. They may have just done this. They may have just got a recorder and mm. actually done these things, which would be amazing. But the, the porcelain touches from the moment the film started in five minutes, I was genuinely bought in because I was like, okay, the note that they're, they're pulling, I know it's going to be pulling fun of Romeo and Juliet, but I was like, the gnome bit at the start was great. I love the little gnomes with no eyes. I think oh, the, the mm. hat's so far down. I think they're cute and funny and they're little hen- henchmen and stuff. And then when they, it was the touching, I was like, there's something so, for me at least, satisfying about mm-hmm. the sound of porcelain touching porcelain. I've just, I, and Megan pointed out as well, I didn't say anything. And she said, the sound, the sound of the porcelain is really good in this. I was like, yes, Megan, it what, is. What, what's uh, you found yours? Is it, what's it called? Is it like ADS? What's that thing called when it's oh, like the sound? A- you... ASMR. ASMR. There you go. You found it. Porcelain on objects. I think most people would say my ASMR is my own voice. Because <laughs> you the said I, that, not anybody else. The amount I've, I've, many of my friends um, have said that to me, and certain people when they're mad at me. Uh, not that sounded like I was loosely saying Megan. Megan's not said that to me, um, but other people have. But no, it's and also she said it with know, her eyes, maybe because she couldn't get a word in edgeways to tell you. Exactly, that's right. But and also, not only do I talk this much, but I also edit my own podcasts and then have to listen to myself <laughs> say it all again. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but I do have I've uh, one other I mean, question. Best job in the world, I think. Just before we move on, like Foley, Foley artists, best job in the world. Those people who like get to make all the sound effects. Obviously, Ben Burt famously for Star Wars, but mm-hmm. yeah, those people who are 
in this scene, we need the sound of somebody walking on gravel. So you see them behind the scenes and they've got their big Timberland boots on their hands and they're literally like... I love that stuff. Oh, Matt, it's just such a fun job. And then, of course, when you get to what's a lightsaber going to sound like, well, I'm going to combine this. Is, it's brilliant. If I, I Honestly, if I could do any job, I reckon I'd be a Foley artist. It would be amazing. I, I do, however, think, unfortunately, not to mock you, but you're probably too late in your career to start in, oh, in sound design like that yes even me i'm like i could the amount of complexity mm. but i agree with you it would, the, the experimentation side i think i yeah. agree with you completely it'd be, it'd be so cool for someone to get right in six months we need this or probably uh, knowing what execs are like in a week we're gonna need <laughs> a million sound effects. in an hour yeah uh now you're already late <laughs> what do you want oh yeah i haven't told you yet um it's like you know you mentioned star wars it's like the sound of chewbacca is like i think it's like a walrus and dog and a lion or something put together mm-hmm. with edit and i just love that that when you hear a unique sound it's one of the reasons that many fantasy films like star wars and Lord of the rings things mm-hmm. work so well because it's a u- unique sound mm-hmm. and it's like if you're the first person to i know i know there's been other sci-fi films before star wars people may think i don't know that but i do know that <laughs> but like when you hear a blaster bolt or the light yeah, the yeah. lightsaber hum lightsaber, is so yeah. unfathomable to wine exactly like yeah. none of that has been done that sound it's its own sound and now mm-hmm. when you watch films that don't have such a budget and can't afford to make unique sci-fi sounds when you see a film and you hear it you go i know that from something else and that's taken me out mm-hmm. and there's like a, there's a group of like stock image stock sounds of like space sounds mm-hmm. that aren't star wars and if i hear that in anything I'm like, Ugh. like how dare I know you where you've pay? got that from? Yeah, how dare you not pay hundreds of thousands to get a unique sound when they're almost perfectly adequate? I'm being a snob. Best one ever is, you know, there's not a lot of times you can say best one ever about Attack of the Clones, but is those sonic blasts that um, oh, Jango yes. Fett drops. Yeah. They're that... so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And you get it. What is also one of the highlights of Book of Boba Fett as well. Mm, of course, <laughs> so yeah. Two of, yeah. Two of the yeah. worst pieces of Star Wars content on screen. <laughs> As much as I adore Attack of the Clones, it's actually in of all the films if I rank them, it's in my top half. But it's in my top half for my enjoyment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's not in the top half of the best. I, I completely accept that. Uh, it's definitely at, at near the bottom. Um, but yeah, that sound effect is is, is god tier. I describe it as I was like, you can't play that sound effect to a human being, and they don't at least some part of them enjoy it. It's it's like mm-hmm. the thrum sound from Inception. It's just oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's just a, a, like when something goes so low. Or it's like Barry White's voice, you know. It goes so something goes so low. You're just like, I love it. What was that? I can't do it, but you know, that was, was that my Barry be... White impression? That was that was offensive to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to make your porcelain chinking playlist. No. Though. Did you Sorry, did you find about the sound design? Did you like it as much as I did? Certainly not as much as you did, but I thought the the balance between. Yeah, the sound effects and the the music. And yeah, I can see that being a, a key element. And I think would have been something that probably, I don't think this picked up any awards other than I think a few, like the, the Hello Hello new version song with Lady Gaga, I think picked up some like song awards. But if there was going to be anything awarded in this, it would definitely be the sound design. Yeah. Yeah, because the animation's all right. It's nothing. Mm. It, it for the, I think the one of the, another reason this film probably did fail in, as in not fail critic not fail in the box office but fail with reviews is the animation's okay but it feels like when you realize that toy story was made like was it 10 tw- nearly 20 years earlier than this mm-hmm. and if you watch an un 
remastered version of Toy Story, which I don't think you can get anymore. But if you watch Toy Story on DVD and you watch this on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. Toy Story on DVD is probably it's going to look better. Yeah, and I yeah, think, yeah. and I know yeah. obviously a lot of it's budget, and I get that. But I'm like, even Shrek doesn't have the best uh, effects, but it works for what it is. It, it mm-hmm. works really well for what it is. It's quite rare for you to see a part in Shrek, and it's like uh, it's like cartoony enough that the humans look okay. But in this, it just felt like this. This felt, yeah. It just felt like it should. If this was made, I think ten years earlier, yeah, it's like the early two thousands. Yeah, this would have probably. I I think people would appreciate this. It would be amidst the like the animated kids film renaissance of three D animation. But I think as it came out when, I mean, two thousand and eleven. When what was Pixar making? I know Disney Pixar, but like, what were they making mm-hmm. at that point? Like, I'm sure it's leaps and bounds ahead oh I definitely yeah, yeah i don't know if is this because this isn't dreamworks because it's, it's british so i don't know even what animation studio, animation studio this is i didn't even look it no, up I, d- I didn't pay attention either I, I really feel annoyed at myself i should have done but it's i assume we're going to look it up now but like it just it felt and that's the problem it's one of those things that when you get unless you have a really unique isolation concept sci-fi you basically can't do without a big budget fantasy mm-hmm. You basically can't do without a big budget and animated stuff unless you have the most committed animate, animators on the planet and it's hand-drawn or it's a short film. You can't do it in because you need such a, a huge amount of resources to do these kind of things. Mm. So, And this feels like more of a, more on the indie side than big Oh, budget. definitely. So interestingly, in 2010 was Toy Story 3, 2011 was Cars 2, and then 2012 was Brave. So yeah, that's which... what Pixar's doing. This is a touchstone release who right. is a subsidiary of Disney. I thought it was because we're mm. on Disney discussion, we did that. That's so. This is sort of Disney film, not really, but sort of. That's that, that's so, so en- bizarre to entertainment me one in the UK and touchstone in the US. I suppose mm. it must have been maybe touchstone distributed it and maybe funded it a bit. Yeah, entertainment UK. Can you see what other stuff entertainment UK has done apart from, I assume the Sherlock gnomes because again I don't wanna, I don't want to slate the animators this isn't against the animators I think I can't animate anything so you know it's still it's still good animation I just think for what the industry standard was at that time which granted yeah. 90% of industry standard for 3D animated films is essentially Disney you get things like Beowulf that just don't work um, but it it's just especially knowing that Disney had a hand in it in some way mm. It is bizarre because you say like Cars Two. I haven't seen Cars Two, but Cars One looks insanely good. Mm. It's today it still looks insanely good. Brave is one of my favorite Disney Pixar films. That looks amazing. And then um, what was the other one you mentioned? Ed, so Toy Story Three, Cars. Toy Story Three. Yeah, that was Cars it. Two. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Toy Story One looks better than this film probably. Hmm. Uh, Have they done anything else? Well, I'm looking at their lists. So in 2008 they did Milk. In 2010, they did Barney's version and Virginia. In 2012, they did Beast of the Southern Wild, but that's obviously not an animated movie. And they released Looper. Hmm. So Interesting. in terms of animation, I couldn't tell you. I guess Justin and the Knights of Valor is an animated movie, but it's I so... can't tell you. I've seen, I have not seen it. Maybe all the profit they made from this film, they put it into Sherlock Gnomes, and then maybe Sherlock Gnomes didn't do that well, and they were just like sounds about right yeah because maybe it was like oh there's this new british animated studio they they've got some cool ideas let's let them do this oh nomi and juliet that was a real 
that surprised us. This was almost like mm. a little side project thing. Let's give you one other chance. And if you can do this, we can help you launch more stuff. And then Sherlock Gnomes probably bombed. And then they're like, no. Mm. That's why I presume. So, you know, they got some hit, some hits amongst those movies. You know, mm. Looper was massive. That was the Ryan Johnson time travel movie. But um, yeah, obviously not, as you say, not animated. No, no. It's a cool film, but I've only seen it once. I need to rewatch it, actually. It's very divisive on the internet. Everything Ryan Johnson touches is so divisive. Because I remember when Looper came out, I was like, this is amazing. And then I think the hype train got it. And then I watched it. I was like, this is a really cool film. I enjoyed that. And then other people watched it and were like, this sucks. And I was like, did, did, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I remember liking it, but another can... Emily Blunt movie. Yes, the woman who will forever be known as the person I've objectified all women over, which is upsetting because I don't <laughs> to be even to put myself in even a more horrible hole and to offend even more people. If I had to say the top ten women I'm the most attracted to in cinema, she, she wouldn't. It's not one I, I often talk about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I think I just don't talk about it. Maybe save that's yourself. normally that's normally it. But you know, people know me in this way. I dig myself into a deep hole, and I try and be honest and genuine. <laughs> and that's you know, I'm not trying to objectify women or Emily Blunt. She's more than her looks, 100. But it's just so weird. I decided on to do it on a podcast to her, who's someone I basically never even really thought about in that way. <laughs> I think it's time to cut the top of your name hat off, Mike. Because yeah, yeah, it should do. But I was going to ask my yeah, one you were sorry. Mm. Um. I mean, you don't need to apologize for for you cutting me off, digging myself into a misogynistic, <laughs> objectifying hole. Um, who took the photos of those flamingos? Because in the shed, there's like a whole mm. montage about it, and they're all there from is. the perception, the, the perspective of the bottom of the garden facing the house, while the humans are sometimes in the shots. Good question. Because mm. I cam- found that our scene... camera is sentient. Oh no! If you put googly eyes on them. And a pipe cleaner than they are. <laughs> um, I th- the flamingo scene I thought was actually quite sad. Uh, I'm glad that at the end it all wraps up. That's it right. was. It was obviously a massive rip off of Toy Story two with the the Jesse story. But um, yeah, it definitely worked. I thought that worked really well. Yeah, I liked. I liked the flamingo. He was fun. Fun. Did flamingo. you get the flamingo Forrest Gump reference? Not off the top of my head, but you're probably going to say it, and I'm like, oh yeah, what was it? Uh, hang on, I have got it somewhere. What does he say? He says. It's around. It's in this. It's in this moment. Oh, this is going to offend. This is. It must be so upsetting to you that you're having to look up Forrest Gump references for me that I may have missed. <laughs> he said, "I may not be a smart bird, but I know what love is." Oh, that's what Forrest Gump says. The it amount is, of times yeah. I've seen that film, not the bird part, but the amount of times I've seen that film and how much I go on about that film, I, I didn't. I, I remember hearing that line and going. Oh, what poor bird. I didn't even I, think Forrest I Gump. Mean, I didn't get it either. But, you know, oh, in my okay. research, I came across it. Right, that's fair. But you, you don't like the <laughs> film, whereas I go on about it and w- have to watch it every couple of years because Megan loves it as well. So that that's on me. That's yeah. on you. But then you also watch Crank and uh, our, our, our level is at slightly different places, aren't they? <laughs> Where Crank and Forrest Gump come in the pantheon of classic American cinema. Yeah, but I also controversially don't think No Country for Old Men is as good as everyone else does. And I've I listened to another completely separate podcast. It was a Joe Rogan podcast. I don't listen to him that often anymore. But he was talking to Post Malone. It's like four and a half hours. So I listened to it over the course of like two or three weeks. In between, <laughs> I, I was listening to like Comics Emotion podcasts that I like. And then when I finished one, I'd be like, okay, I listened to a bit of Rogan for half an hour and then I'll go to something else. And in that, they mentioned No Country for Old Men. And they were both going, gosh, it's one of the best films I've ever made, isn't it? Yes, it's perfect. It's the best thing ever. Oh, my God. Javier Bardem, you can't beat him in anything. And I was like, I'm, it's one of those annoying things where it's just, I, 
just like you are with Forrest Gump and I am with No Country for Old Men, it's just one of those films where it's like, although you actively don't like or maybe even hate Forrest Gump, whereas I, I like No Country. I just mm. think it's horrendously overrated. <laughs> I'm just like, it's a very well-made action film with a great villain. Mm. All stop. I do actively <laughs> dislike Forrest Gump, it's true. But what I actively like is winding you up about my dislike of Forrest Gump. But it's fun. It's so fun. Of course. And I love it because I do it to you as well. So You certainly fun. do. <laughs> um, do we Jason Statham, we've got to talk about him. Yes, yeah. we have to. Was he suitable for Tybalt? How was his voice acting? Was he? Where does he compare to James McAvoy? He's better than James McAvoy, but even mm. I'm better than James McAvoy. And I've actually done one or two voice acting things in my mm. life. Uh, very oh. minor, very, very minor. Um, and one of them no longer is on any podcast app. And the person who released them, all of their podcasts are gone and they've completely disappeared from the internet. Oh, so shame. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to delve further into that just in case I find things I don't want to find. So mm. I'm like, okay, that's a shame. Um, but I'm not a voice actor in any way. But I think just talking normally would have been better than James McAvoy. Statham, <laughs> you know... I, Statham, he's got such an iconic voice. I feel like it would he could do the way he does stuff in Spy. I mm. feel like he could do so much. Maybe he will when he ages out of being an action star. I know you've got people like Sylvester Stallone who still do crazy stuff, but I feel like the Statham is slowly going to wind down. Mm-hmm. He's probably still near enough to his peak that he can keep going, but he's probably he must be in his fifties now, isn't he? Late forties. Yeah, yeah, mid fifties, I think. Yeah, so he's probably only got maybe a decade before he has to really wind things down um, just because the physical toll it takes on your body. And so I think that if we got him in certain action in um, certain animated films, I'd love it. If he just plays the spy kind of character where you've got Mm -hmm. a character who's just so not even that major, but it's just ridiculously intense for no reason. I think that would be really funny because it's like, as you've very eloquently said many times in this podcast, Statham can't do accents. And (laughs) I think by this point he has kind of given up and he should, mm-hmm. you know, some people just can't do accents. Statham's one of them. Just stop. You've got a cool voice. Why would you want to hide that? Just be the Statham. Um, and in this, he's basically just a very slightly toned down version of the Statham. Mm-hmm. Like some gravel taken out of it. But it, I don't, when I hear that, although I know it's the Statham, I don't listen to this and go, oh, it's one of those actors trying to be a voice actor. I just go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it's, he's a character. Like I did, I didn't watch it. And I wasn't like taken out of the film by hearing it was him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, I do. Yeah. McAvoy, but not because it was McAvoy, but because it was bad. But like with the state, I was like, he did a pretty good job. And I am I am quite surprised. I think maybe it's just because he's so busy that he just hasn't done more. Because mm. as I said, I really think it it kind of like, I know Keanu Reeves, uh, his voice is as iconic, but him being the evil Knievel kind of character in mm. Story 4, maybe even 3 mm. as well. It was 4, yeah. Yeah, just like a silly little fun side character that doesn't mean anything. Like Stath would do so well at some of those kind of characters. Mm. You know, and I think that because of just him doing his voice, so I was like, yeah, it, yeah, 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 it works for me. I could see him like he's not quite as he doesn't have the range of this person, but Will Arnett, mm. Lego Batman, love he, it. He has that that ability to go further down from where he is, which is already quite low. So yeah, like you could almost see the state as our British version of that, I suppose. That's a very good comparison. And I want to shout out Will Arnett. Um, a, he's a great actor. He, mm. he's, he's not an amazing actor. He's a great actor. But voice work, mm. you know, Bojack is, I think, one. the series one's a bit weak. Um, but it's one of the greatest, I think it's one of the greatest series ever made on the basis of 
how realistically clever, how clever it is, both visually and script-wise, how dark it is, how heavy it is, how many deep, crazy stuff it goes into. Um, I can't watch it again for a long time because it just takes an emotional toll on me. Um, <laughs> but it's just beyond phenomenal. And Will Arnett is obviously a huge driving force of the writing and obviously being Bojack in that. And Aaron Paul, he, mm. he's a, he can do voice acting as well. It's like, oh, wow. Um, but yeah, Will Arnett, I always forget about him. He's him, I think he's a very underrated voice actor. And I think mm. when I saw Lego Batman, I was like, this is amazing. This is so good and so, so perfect because it's silly enough for kids. But if you like Batman, it's just constantly <laughs> taking the mick out of Batman, which is so good. So yeah, I think I think that's a very good comparison. I wouldn't mind a Lego Batman too. And there's like a weird offshoot Batman and it's just Jason Statham saying yeah. one, one line of dialogue. Like I would, I would pay for that. That'd Love be amazing. <laughs> I mean, if if you as if you need another podcast in your life, but Will Arnett is one called Smartless with Jason okay. Bateman and Sean Hayes, and it is amazing. It's those three who are like really good friends in real life, and it's just they have a famous guest on every episode, hmm. but it's just basically an excuse for them to rip the piss out of each other. Oh, for an hour with a guest who kind of gets to say something every now and then. It's it's fantastic. It's a wonderful podcast. So I highly recommend that. Oh, I, I would definitely check that out because yeah, because they did obviously uh, Arrested Development uh, together, yeah. or at least Bateman did it in Will, and it was yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, he's Sean Hayes from Will and Grace. Ah, okay, right, which I've not seen, but I, I feel like I'd know him. Yeah, um, you but, would, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I saw uh, it doesn't hit the mark every time, but Will Arnett did the the murder show on Netflix. Oh, Murderville. Murderville. Yeah, yeah it was. There's, I watch them all, and they don't all work. But when it does work, it's so funny. And it's just he's he, where the I think what, I think the one he does with Jason Bateman might be one of the best ones actually, which I've probably not seen makes, it. So, yeah, okay. It's, it's not the best thing on Netflix, but if you want just something dumb and funny, just mm. and it, I think the episodes aren't that long either, and it's quite improv-y. But Will Arnett is so good at improv, and he's mm. so he's so good at being saying something absolutely insane and being completely deadpan and serious and no one knows how to react to it and you've got these characters these actors they're playing themselves and they know that that's the show the show literally is saying when it starts this is basically a show it's loosely scripted but the the actors have got no script at all so they just have to mm -hmm. run with it and he just says something does something and they just stare at him and he's like well Go on, and they're like they're trying not to laugh at him and they're like half giggling and he's like something funny and it's just, it's it's so stupid but that because of that show the premise that you've described as smartless i'm i'm all in for um, oh, jason statham was in that murderville show god oh well, there you go i just i just want the statham to basically do what certain actors i mean i since seeing him in this i've had issues with justin tim like being a bit of a dick but one thing I really like about Justin Timberlake is whenever he does stuff with the Lonely Island or sometimes Saturday mm -hmm. Night Live, he really takes the mick out of himself. Mm. And I love it when actors do that. I know there's lots of other actors who have done similar things, but I just, I want, all I want from now on from the Stath is intense action movies like Expendables, which I haven't seen, and him taking the mick out of himself, like in Spy and the Meg, and even more so to just rip on himself. That's, <laughs> that's all I want from the state from from now on, uh, up from his filmography, because I just I, it makes me so happy beyond more happy than I probably should. <laughs> so I'd love that. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm up for watching the state and whatever he wants to do. I mean, he's he's got a I think it's like a ten part Netflix show coming out soon, which I didn't know oh. until the other day, and it's a semi sequel to Layer Cake, the Daniel Craig movie. Oh, so I, I love like, that. What? 10 hours of Jason Statham on Netflix. Yes, please. I'm all in. 
But I have to I say, like, this this is probably the only time I've ever rooted for Tibble in a in a Shakespeare adaptation, and it's just because it's him. Clearly, you don't root for Tibble. He is the bad guy. Oh, but, um, yeah. it's the taste, so you can't help it. So even when it's a cop out and he's glued at the end, you kind of you're kind of happy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I was I wasn't happy at the end. I was like, what is happening? Why? why <laughs> I was like, why are they glued back together? And my question then it raises even more questions: Is can they even die? In theory, well, not. Apart no, from the, the the mother and the, the absent mum and dad characters of Nomi and Juliet, because obviously yeah. the their mum their parents get together and it's like that just that's weird. I would not want you know mm-hmm. my mum getting with Megan's dad and then us because that's just it's, that is, it's a, yeah it's a weird line. It's it's too too much. It's too comfortable. Um, so I wouldn't be happy with that. But I'm like when so when he was when Tibble was. Even the name Tibble is such a weird. It's, it makes it, <laughs> it sounds like it's a character from like Balamori or something. Um, but I was thinking that when because they're porcelain and they don't breathe or have organs or anything like that, you know, in Toy Story, I don't think they really we see death apart from fire, which makes sense mm-hmm. because that's destroying their entire being, so they wouldn't be alive. But with breaking down porcelain, so does that mean that Tibble was alive when he was these porcelain pieces and it was just mm. this horrible? tortured existence until they glued it back together i think you're getting way too deep on this one mike i i am i like to do this is more <laughs> if i'm doing it more so because it's it's in jest and we've spoken about all the other serious stuff in this but like mm. yeah it's uh it's a horrible thought isn't it i can't have you seen torchwood no okay is is a it's a doctor who thing that's like mm. an adult doctor who of john barrowman and stuff and um i watched it when i was in my when i was a major hoovian um when i was in the david tennant era which has come back now and i'm like is oh, that, god was that made by dyson that one made by dyson oh that was a really bad dad joke you're a major hoovian oh right well hoover is a brand not a vacuum like a vacuum cleaner is the device hoover's a brand so oh god sorry get, get wrecked son just oh. like jacuzzi it's not a hot tub jacuzzi is the brand it's a, ta- it's a it's a loudspeaker not a tannoy right it's ta- oh it's tannoy i think that's I alan thought- partridge joke Oh, I thought Tannoy was the American. I just thought Americans called loudspeakers Tannoys. I didn't realize it was a brand thing. That's something new every day. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. The, the reason I mentioned torture because there's a character in it and there's a whole existential thing where this mm. character essentially dies, but they, they are immortal, but their physical form goes. So they're just eternally existing with no form. It's mm. it's a very obscure deep cut reference that means nothing because you've not seen it this has been i'm really sorry to you and the listeners because this has been not only one of the least jason statham centric podcasts that you've ever had on this even less Mm. so than collateral (laughs) but i've even (laughs) as well as offending lots of people by saying unnecessarily objectifying things with no connection to this at all i've also been on i think i've had more tangents on this so I've, I've I've spoken less about this film than I've spoken about other stuff. <laughs> I was just too excited to talk to you, Jack. That's my problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I've had a great time. So if nobody <laughs> else does, it's, screw them. It's tough, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's the finish off by... Yeah, he is. And let's finish off by talking about some of the other random things in this movie. So at least we've talked about this movie a little bit. Um, Breakback Mountain reference? I've not seen Breakback. I know the plot loosely because mm. I think everyone just knows the loose plot but i've it's on our watch list mine and megan's um on our 100 film list but i've not actually seen it it's actually mm-hmm. a good film because i've heard it's a great film yeah yeah, yeah and really powerful really and moving and but that those two um gnomes that are joined together there's some i think it's during the big battle at the end and the tomatoes and the blueberries are going and they've they, one of them says like i wish i could quit you that's a breakback mountain reference oh okay N- necessary in Romeo and juliet i'm not sure 
I've obviously American Beauty reference with a yeah sexy frog. That was weird because I was like, <laughs> I was like that scene is in like American Beauty is a great movie. Unfortunately, you mm. know all the stuff around Kevin Spacey has made a lot of films very ick. Mm. Uh, but that film is like the whole point of that film is that that's really wildly inappropriate and gross. Like it's a grown mm. man fantasizing about essentially a schoolgirl, and it's like this is, I think she's got or at least very yeah, yeah, very yeah. she's underage, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the point, and yeah. it's like so that the whole premise of that scene, when it's parodied, it's things like Family Guy or whatever, which is intentionally satirical. But it's like the fact that you're parodying a scene about a grown adult sexualizing a school child. And the whole premise of American Beauty is like the downfall of this man because of lots of things, including that. But you're parodying that in a kid's film is so weird. It is so weird. I so agree. So bizarre. And it's doing it because the it's the frog, isn't it? Because the Stephen Merchant character on the frog, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, he's he's Par- Paris the gnome, who is the the man who Juliet has promised to in the story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, that I, I remember seeing. It, I was like, why? why mm. that was just my question it's like who uh, you, you made an unfinished film but you managed to animate that like what <laughs> <laughs> that was that was one i was just yeah i didn't get it did you manage to catch any others i'm not sure if there's, there's to be honest those but as you because they're coming it's almost like um a zazmiv isn't it like a zuckerberg mm. abrams no not zuckerberg a zucker abrams zucker movie like airplane it's like yes. bang 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 or like a mel brooks type movie yeah, and I I love Airplane, even though as comedy films don't age that well all the time. I watched it fairly recently, and I was like, I really enjoy oh, it. It's still hilarious. It doesn't. It's matter, so it doesn't. funny. It's you've got a million jokes a second, even mm. if two land, you're still laughing. And it was just like, yeah, it's, some of it's of its time, but actually, for how old it is, mm. nowhere near as offensive as I thought it was going to be. Like, no, 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 definitely. It's really actually survived way better than even films I like from the 90s or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost survived better than Superbad, which is offensive to me because I watched Superbad recently and I was like, oh, this film doesn't work as well as I remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the film, I, I think with this film is even though I have been quite critical of this, I just think there are there are so many, there's mm. so much work. I think it's just, there's so much work that has gone into this. Like regardless of some of the, like James McAvoy being weak in this and some of the weird choice of things. I'm just like the the amount of anim- animated visual puns, the amount mm. of script jokes, the amount of pop culture references, the amount of, obviously they didn't make the songs, but the animation to go along with the Elton John songs and all these things and the crazy Hulk Hogan advert and all the, even the pun where it's like they're, she's buying the 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 different lawnmowers mm-hmm. and they've all got stupid names. Mm. And there's like an actual, like they've put work into everything you see at every point on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, Pixar is always known for their, attention to detail but i'd say controversially i think this film probably if you stopped frame by frame has i know because pixar don't really do references to stuff unless it's their own work but like the amount of detail mm. to, other, to other stuff you know pixar do great world building and things you look at a shot from monsters inc and everything looks amazing but like it's just a lot of work granted there are nine people making it so i guess but i was just quite impressed with how much is in this film no, I agree. And, you know, we've spoken about this being kind of British centric with gnomes and other parts of it. In that way, it reminded me of an Ar- an Ardman movie. Oh, that's now you've hit a, a very positive nerve because I bloody love Ardman. Yeah. And they <laughs> and they do that stuff, don't they? They do the yeah. visual and they do the, the gags and they do clever stuff for adults and dumb stuff for kids. And yeah, uh, it's not as good as an Ardman, don't get me wrong, but very little is. 
That's correct. You've made but a correct it, statement. It has that flavor of Ardman, I think, to it. Yeah, I, I, it's Ardman. It's impossible because if you did this for Ardman, it would not work. But I feel like I would love, I, I would actually quite like a, almost over a Nomeo and Juliet spinoff uh, with Ardman or if Ardman worked at this studio or even just, oh, my Ardman. I know they've uh, Chicken Run 2 is coming out. Yeah. Only on Netflix, though. And I'm like, oh. Me and Megan were so looking forward to seeing the cinema. It's been announced for a decade because they make it. It takes like five, ten years to make of their films because it's literally yeah. stop motion with clay. It takes claymation takes forever. Oh, I love, I love Ardman. You do. Mm. Why do you say that, Jack? I, <laughs> I just want to talk about Ardman now, but I won't because this pod's nearly two hours. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe the state has got a role in Chicken Run Two. Oh God! Yeah, Don't say it. that. Could you imagine? I think if I'd like, I've said it. I think I've said this analogy on almost every podcast I've done recently. But if I had a genie wish of something benign, didn't change anything in the world, and I had like just a handful, you know, you could just do, here's a couple of genie wishes, but you can't wish for money or world peace mm-hmm. or never die or anything. A million you have wishes. to wish for, yeah, you have to wish for really stupid, pointless, benign stuff <laughs> that won't actually really change anything in the world. One of them would be just Jason Statham in an Ardman movie. Just as a like a minor-ish character, but says like ten lines in the whole thing, but just sprinkled amidst the film every now and then, every twenty minutes or so, or every fifteen minutes, you just get one line from this over-the-top, angry Jason Statham chicken. Oh, and Ardman's British as well, so it go. would work even better. Maybe the power of karma in the world, or what you know, whatever people believe in. Maybe we've just made it happen. With my comments in this podcast, I don't think karma is the right one. But yes, I, I would hope. I would hope. <laughs> All right, one two second. little things before I then read the, the yeah. letterbox reviews and then I'll get your final word, yeah? Um, did you notice the floating head screensaver on Lady Blueberry's laptop? Oh, I was actually, I didn't notice what the head was, but all I was thinking was the old DVD menus. Yeah, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. Great shout. And I was just thinking, I remember in school, and I, 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 I don't, I obviously, because you're a teacher, I don't know if, because DVDs aren't really used much and stuff, but like, were you teaching at a point where you'd put the projector on and the DVD logo would go? Or do you remember that from a point oh, in yeah, your yeah. life? I do remember it, yeah. Just the, the greatest, when it was just something, I don't know what it is. It's something that Gen Z and all are not going to have any comprehension well, of. My eldest uh, knows it. He loves it because he, he really? watches it trying to hope it gets right in the, in corner. the corner. Yeah that's the that it happens <laughs> but it takes like i think it takes like 45 minutes of it just doing it and it's like yeah. when it happens and it's a perfect it gets the corner and you get it sometimes where it cheats you and it bounces off a corner corner and it's like nope mm. nope you need to do perfectly into the corner and bounce out at the same angle and something about that that brings me and i've realized because of the internet millions of people with the yeah. same level of joy that's i was just focusing on that i was like is it gonna go to the corner i don't even know what it was what yeah. was it <laughs> um it was the hoff of course no i did notice it yeah i remember being like why is because... exactly why the hoff I he's don't... not he's not british is he he's definitely not no he's definitely not no i was okay i was i, I did i said to megan i was like hoff what and then yeah who knows again why and then um, I, I bet you youtube is where my eldest has seen it you know, you're oh. saying because of millions of people, yeah, he has seen that DVD thing on YouTube somewhere, I think. Uh, I see. I will say with the Hoff, though, I think the Hoff might have, this is not a real thing, this is anecdotally from the films yeah. I've seen. I feel like he may have got, he may have the most amount of random cameos than like anyone, because obviously there's like Kung Fury and there's like the SpongeBob movie, which I mm. love. He's in that and like quite a major part. And it's like, there's just so many Guardians films. too. Yeah, 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 exactly. He just pops up in like everything. And you're like, I, I knew the Hoff 
Like I've never seen Baywatch or Knight Rider, but because of the sheer amount of references to the Hoff in other stuff, I just know him. He's become a cultural cameo almost. Mm, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And the last thing to mention is two Professor X's in this movie, of course. Two Professor X's in the movie. As in like X-Men oh, Professor oh, X. Oh, because of Patrick Stewart as Shakespeare. And... Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. To be fair, I loved Patrick Stewart as Shakespeare. Mm. I thought that scene was is very on the nose, obviously. Is the, the entire film is yes. not even... On your nose doesn't suffice it. It's like your nose is being crushed by a mountain. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved that scene. I was like, that's just a fun little silly... That's like a nerd. It's like a nerdy Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean, well, like you, like you play a video game about something, and then there's a secret room you go into, and then it's just some on the nose, out of universe joke. I was like, that's kind of, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense, but that's fun. But then it made me think. So are all statues also yeah. alive in this world, <laughs> and then I was thinking, is the the weeping angels from Doctor Who from Don't Blink, are they real? Because that's terrifying in the Romeo Juliet world. <laughs> but no, I love that. Good. All right, should we do some letterbox? Yeah, I mean, I could talk with you for the entire evening, but I probably shouldn't. But yes, letterbox. I mean, we could, and but we we all know you have plans in order to prepare for another podcast, of course. So yeah, yeah, I gotta go watch Ahsoka because I also have to. Shame on me! Like poor, poor, poor Michael can't go <laughs> on his social media and can't look on X because he might see spoilers. No, everyone cry for Michael. It's like yeah, that's that is the only reason I'm watching. <laughs> no, <laughs> so fair enough. Time. But there's no immediate rush, so uh, but still, letterbox. Sorry, <laughs> let's do it. M Vega 86, I think that says, Yes, I'm just as surprised as you are that Jason Statham is in this. Oof, could hardly get through this one. Half a star, that was. Oh, this, is, this is what I mean. Like, it is half, yeah, yeah. There are some I mean, really hard reviews out there. On IMDb, it was like 5.8 or uh, 5.6 or something, and it's like that's a for a kid's film, that's mm. rough. I'd give this like a for a kid's film, a seven, maybe. For my own enjoyment, maybe a six, six and a half, but half? <laughs> what? I didn't, I've seen probably like five films. You my, I've seen probably five films in my life that I would give half a star. I would probably not even give Hulk half a star, to be honest with you. And I hate just, that film. Just <laughs> Sorry, for Tony. Cup, yeah? Uh, no. <laughs> five and a half star out of five, actually. <laughs> I'll have you know. All right. Lou Shoemaker. Oh, okay. your favourite. And early because he is not a fan. Mm. When talking about notable Oscar snubs, people often mention Saving Private Ryan losing to Shakespeare in Love in 1999. I don't think it counts as a snub though because, and follow me here, Shakespeare in Love is fucking good. And I'm going to skip a little bit because the rest is about Shakespeare in Love. And then he says, why am I talking about Shakespeare in Love in a review for Nomi and Juliet? Well, this movie fucking sucks. And I'd rather talk about anything else. The animation is trash. The plot is dull. The jokes are stupid, even for a kid's movie. Jason Statham plays Tybalt. And honestly, you should stick to live action because his vocal performance here is pretty flat. Fuck this stupid movie. I think the problem people find with this, I, I know you you have you will have chair, you've because the podcast, you'd have chosen people specifically talking about the state. And I think yes, it's correct. there is no person who is wanting to see all of the state, like no person that has a wrong way to say it. The majority of people who love the state are loving the kind of films the state is in, like Expendables, like mm-hmm. Crank is an extreme version, but like these actiony, stereotypically, my mm. sister and I will call them dick flicks. Like the opposite, <laughs> you, people call the term chick flick as a derogatory yeah. term for a, a rom com that often uh, women like 
opposite for men is an action film that's all testosterone and you know the, the horrible male gaze stuff in a lot of them and it's like the, the kind of films you would enjoy usually for jason statham to be mm-hmm. in this is completely not even remotely close this isn't even a detour this is like a different planet mm. so I, I have no reasoning to think why anyone who loves all the jason statham movies almost purely would enjoy this film but no. did, what, what does he give it sorry out of five half another half <laughs> oh christ <laughs> i mean uh, on letterbox fairly similar to imdb as you just said it's two and a half i think it's 2.6 out of five so it's five out of ten it's yeah i suppose the kids films it's hard because for the majority of kids films that are okay like because adults review them and adults are the ones on well, the this internet, is it it will, yeah. it will unless it's something like toy story that everyone is like this greatest film ever made ever which i don't think mm. it is but it's pretty hard to beat yeah i think that's the problem with these kind of films agreed i mean ask my two boys obviously i said right at the start they're probably you know four and a half five out of ten so I, who it's think, made for yeah i think for a kid's film i i would probably i generally probably give this an eight out of ten for, as a kid's film mm-hmm. i would say eight out of ten it's just for me as an adult six so i think a fair is seven i guess I'd, I'd give it a fairly good film i know we're gonna get into the proper state ratings we will get but... state rating okay thomas Corden says Starring James McAvoy, Emily Blum, Michael Caine, Maggie Smith, Jason Statham, Stephen Merchant, and on and on and on. Are you kidding me? Why are all these people in this? Why does the entire score consist of reorchestrated versions of Saturday Night's All Right? Why is it about gnomes? Terminator <laughs> 2 and American Beauty references? Why? I don't get it. What is this? I didn't spot the Terminator 2 reference. And I can't think what it would be. The only Terminator 2 reference I know that's in a lot... There's two that are in pop culture occasionally, mm. um, which is the sprinting down the road uh, scene, which I don't think happens in this, and the, the hand-melting scene. But I think that's yeah, also... Yeah, so thumbs up. Well, Hasta La Vista, of course. Is a, I mean, he definitely nobody says that. No, or the weird smile that Arnie does, but... Who knows? No, and I love I love that film. I think it's one of the best sci-fi films I've made. Oh, so. and you are right. Maybe an excuse to watch Nomi and Juliet again to try and spot the Terminator 2 reference. I don't think I'm going to do that. (laughs) Megan would. Maybe I'll get her, but she has not seen Terminator 2. Ah, problem there. She's seen Terminator 1, but not not yet the second one. So, All right. Jay Grandmaster says, The climax of this movie is an action scene between two known families that shoot blueberries and tomatoes at each other. It also features a ceramic alligator fighting a gnome strongman. A... a flamingo using its legs to pick a lock, a gnome called Mankini using a tanning bed as a shield, and a giant lawnmower, voiced by Hulk Hogan, turning into a transformer to kill Naomi and Juliet by blowing up a castle, leading to William Goddamn Shakespeare appearing to say how happy he is that the couple seems to have died. I loved it. I was going to say, I was like, describing it like that, how could you not enjoy this film? Yeah, that, that is perfect encapsulation of why this film is actually quite good, because it's so dumb. So obviously no Jason Statham reference in there, but that one was too good not to read. And then last but not least, well, actually, that was weird. I'm going to say obviously last but not least, because this person's name is Heath, I'd combine them. <laughs> last but not Heath, prep work for Sherlock Gnomes. So you watched this back in 2018. Listen, is this film kind, kind of overly goofy? Sure. I can't quite crap all of it, though. Fun voice cast plus fun songs equals an adorable G-rated film. Hey. At least I know where that gnome in a thong comes from now. Of course, one of great, of course, one of great British actors, Michael Caine, has to show up in this. 
as well as Aussie. Plus, they play your song in this a ton, and I definitely love that. Plus, Jason Statham plays the nefarious Tibble. What's not to love? I butchered his review, but I'm glad, you know, I did manage to find a couple that likes it. It's a weird one. It, like, I know I said it a minute ago. It's, it, I feel, who's your best friend who always, he's not really your best friend, but the guy who reviews every single so that's, film. Yeah, Lou Shoemaker, yeah. I agree with, uh, most of the time when I hear his reviews, I agree with him. I think, although sometimes, no offense, Lou, I hope you are listening to this, but I think, I think sometimes when there's someone who is an avid reviewer, Mm. they do take themselves a bit too seriously sometimes. And I feel like the two negative reviews on this were reviewing it like it's a film that's like being nominated at the Oscars. Whereas like, I'm going to watch Gandhi and then Nomeo and Juliet, and I'm going to review them in the same way. And it's like, you can't, Mm. you can't review, you can't review like finding Nemo in the same way you're going to review Shawshank Redemption. This doesn't make any sense. Oh, what? Well, they're talking fish. Well, these two types of fish wouldn't be friends. No, it's child's film. It's not, I know I was criticizing. <laughs> Sharks wouldn't be vegetarians. No, exactly. It's like, I, I, I know I'm criticizing this film less so because my critiques, I like to think because I'm elevated is because <laughs> there are inconsistencies within the, the own universe or just a critique mm, of mm-hmm, the entirety mm-hmm. of the concept. But, even putting that to one side, it's a fun, silly kids film. So I'm literally saying, yeah, this doesn't make any sense, but it's a kids film. My only genuine real issue, bar James McAvoy, is I think the end, even though it is a kids film, I, I generally think the end is unfinished. I, mm. it, it just feels like someone lost the footage. But all the, it's just, it felt the most serious review ever. It feels like someone sat there, like angrily watching the screen, like, <laughs> why did I watch all these Jason Statham movies? Why do I have to suffer through this? And it's like, it's, <laughs> you could have, I, I know you, we wouldn't have skipped this one. No. And I suppose to be a completionist, you wouldn't, but I'm like, you, if you know the film is called Nomeo and Juliet, you, you come on. Like, you there's nothing else that to be said. <laughs> Insanity. I can tell you right now, I have seen a lot worse Jason Statham movies. I've heard about them. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I mean, I, to be fair, Crank. I, I probably enjoyed this and Crank about the same amount. But the everything I liked about this film mm-hmm. is the exact opposite of everything I liked about Crank. So I think it's 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 one of those. Like, I'm the... just going to spend all my time now on the internet suggesting Naomi and Juliet and Crank as a double bill for everybody. It's the new Bar- uh, Barbenheimer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's it's a it's a wild watch. You watch Nomi and Juliet, they crack. It's like it's like a palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, which way it's around like a, do you think? I think it depends on who you are as a person. Uh, mm. I think if if you're more of a Megan, then you need to watch Crank first, mm. and then to recover from the trauma, <laughs> watch Nomi and Juliet. If you're more like us, I think it's more you watch Nomi and Juliet first, mm-hmm. and then you watch Crank to kind of wash it away. Because I find that if I watch if I watched 10 intense films in a row, I'd be okay if not a bit exhausted. But if I if I watch too many kids' films, I get like sometimes Megan often she wants to watch chill, calm films, understandably so. But on the odd occasion, if we've watched loads of my stuff recently, series and stuff, and I let her watch a few films in a row of her choosing, I can't watch like two Disney films in a row. I need some I I just need something that's not so sickly sweet. I think mm-hmm. that's my problem. And as much as I love Disney Pixar and loads of other films I enjoy, it's like I can't watch just a kid's film because it's like certain dialogue i know it's a romeo and juliet thing but it's even just like the dialogue of a kid's film not because there's no swearing in but because of the level it has to be it's just sometimes i'm like i just need an adult a comment about something that is vaguely <laughs> linking to real adult life 
rather than this fluff. <laughs> so it depends who you are, but I'd recommend it. It's it's a fun it's a fun ride watching WWE. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a weird one. I would definitely recommend it. So justice for Nomi and Juliet. Push for Safe to be uh do more voice work in Ardman. Ard so you want Ardman Ardman Jason Statham, Justice Nomi and Juliet, and the Nomeo and Juliet crank crossover. That's, yeah. that's the <laughs> I love it. Take away from this. Definitely. And I've been forgetting, you know, I'm surprised I didn't get a, a message to tell me how naughty I've been recently, that I haven't always been doing my state stats, which you I kindly did, gave me. I did think that. Um I, but every time I remember it, I then when I I'm I too I, I always want to message you to say how much I enjoyed the episode and then I always forget. Um but obviously you say because in this one, so obviously there's no kissing, there's no like anything, but he does die, but he sort of, yeah. He has a rebirth. It's I think it's the equivalent it's why it works with Crank. Because he dies at the end of Crank, mm-hmm. but then he doesn't in Crank 2. Mm-hmm. And in this one he actually dies, but he doesn't. There's so many connections. You need to watch a sandwich. You need to watch Crank, then Nomi and Juliet, then Crank 2. <laughs> Perfect. That would be too much, I think. I think you'd need to then watch Nomi. Then you'd need to watch uh, Sherlock, Sherlock Gnomes. Gnomes. Yeah. We can't confirm the quality of that and Stath isn't in it. So No, he's uh, not. No, that's it. Okay, we've I've get, I've got the canon. Crank happens and he dies and his soul goes into a garden gnome. Mm. And then he dies and is reborn. And as he gets reborn as the garden gnome, his real self in Crank also gets reborn and that's how he survives so I it's actually it. that's why he's how he survives that long is because his soul is in just like a horcrux yeah that's ex- that that is exactly what it is and that's canon friends that's the canon of crack <laughs> <laughs> oh lord where does this fit in his canon then look at that what a segue mm. um it, it's quite hard because i mean it's definitely not classic it, it has sure. to be it has to be between so it's completionist only or what's the middle one? Worth catching. It's it's really, really difficult, this one. And I know you normally don't give your views, but I'd like to ask mm. for it after I've given mine. But uh, the film the film itself is, I'd actually say, for a kid's film, if you're in the mood for it and you haven't seen it, and especially a lot of our of comics and fam comics and motion family and listeners have kids as we know mm. and it's like if, if your kids haven't seen this i you should genuinely aside from the state you should watch this with your kids it's actually a really fun kids film and you'll enjoy it but safe doesn't it could be anyone it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be safe mm-hmm. in this and that's normally the criteria for why it should be for completionists only however the big caveat here is there's no other current Jason Statham voice work mm. only. And I looked through his discography on IMDb because I was like, maybe it's he's done a series. And I think he's done like a cameo here and there, like really obscure. There's like an obscure little things he's done a cameo for here and there. But like as an actual released full production thing mm-hmm. or an, like an actual fully fledged character, he hasn't, to my knowledge, he hasn't done it. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So and I'm so I was surprised that I'm really surprised he hasn't been in some sort of animated series as like a jokey character, even like a like a what's it called? Adult swim. Like I call mm-hmm, a robot mm-hmm. chicken, that kind of vein. I'm surprised they haven't done that. I'm really missing a trick here. So what I I, th- I think if there was any other Jason Statham film that was animated that he was in, I would say completionists only. Mm-hmm. But only purely on the basis that you cannot get Jason Statham voice work in any other production, I think it'd be, say, worth catching. Hmm. 
Um, I think uh, the f- I think if the film really sucked as hard as some of these reviews think it does, which they're wrong. Um, I know films are objective, art subjective, whatever, but you you can't look at this like an adult film. You, you just can't. It's insanity. So I just think because the film is actually a good kids film anyway, mm-hmm. and there's no other Statham voice work, I think you kind of have to say it's worth catching. It's just mm-hmm. kind of middle of the road. Give it a go, you know. Yeah, and then watch Crank afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's totally fair, and I think. I've done this a few times when we've spoken to people. I think as a film, it's worth catching. I think within his filmography, it really is probably complete Estonia. Like you don't need it. But I think for your reasoning, I think that was a really nice argument that because it's the only time you're going to get to experience it, it does elevate it somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not like, he's not terrible. He's just, no. he's just a slightly watered down version of his own voice. It's like mm. if he did an accent, thank God, thank God this isn't an American animated thing because then it would be, no, don't watch this. You know, well, Scottish as he tried in uh, Me Machine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've not seen Me Machine, but I've, uh, as an as an English person, um, I've at least once tried to do a Scottish accent. Normally when you talk about train spotting or heroin, normally mm-hmm. someone, sometimes myself, I'm sorry, Scottish friends, another offensive thing for Scottish people <laughs> in this podcast. But... <laughs> English people can't really do Scottish accents very well and they never should really. <clears throat> no one should ever really try and do many other accents. It's not generally appropriate. But yeah, I can't I can't imagine the state sounding good trying to do Scottish. I can imagine that being one of the worst accents he's ever done. Yeah, I think I remember when Chris and I spoke about it and he said, oh, it was Scottish he was trying to do, was it? <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> that sums <Yeah>. it up. <laughs> yeah, but go go watch Nomi and Juliet and Crank Friends. Do it. Mm, do it. So, thank you very much, mate. This is coming out on the 16th of October. So, Ahsoka mm. will be finished by then. Ooh. But what else do you have going on? Because we know we get a consistent level of genuine chit-chat and Star Wars content from you. Yeah, where the last two individuals have been Math and Max, who are both incredible people and release amazing content when they do. When it comes to me, it's like there, there is not a week <laughs> in the last... So, I've been podcasting now for over six years over 700 individual podcast episodes have been released with my voice in them. That's about 500 to 600 of them are ones I've released and about a hundred or 200 of them on Patreon. Um, so there's always, there's always somewhere you can hear my voice um, a lot of the time. So by the 16th, so I've got, I've got a few pods recorded. So there's the Disney discussions already out right now as of recording this. So people can go back oh. and, and listen to that. Um, a, so, a new, a new one. Yeah. High school musical. Oh, um, I cannot wait to hear that because Dan and I just... follow each other on Letterbox, and <laughs> I have seen his written reviews. And I want to hear his um, audible reviews for it's, this. One. Me and Rhea were cry laughing almost oh, the whole time. Wait. Like I had some, I had some strong criticisms of the, of the High School Musical films, but Megan is very entertaining because anyone who's listened to Disney discussions or knows Megan and Dan is that they are the two polar opposite film viewers. Mm-hmm. They respect each other greatly and I love them both in different ways, obviously. But like me and Rhea are more middle ground. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're both happy to watch silly, campy kids films in a lot of ways, but we also like weirder stuff. But Dan likes extremely weird stuff. And Megan hates weird stuff. <laughs> I love hearing them disc- have discourse. And most of the time, it's Megan being forced to watch stuff that's weird for Dan's sake. So having 
having the the Megan Rant reaction from Dan to a mm-hmm. film as innocuous as High School Musical is just <laughs> hilarious, and it's great. So the High School Musical one, yeah, the three of us um, watched three High School Musical movies, and I'd never seen the third one. Um, and I'd, I watched them when I was like a kid and stuff. I even had the first one on CD. Um, but that's that's a really fun, silly conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have seen the High School Musical films. It makes it better if you've seen at least one of them. But don't don't. I think I think I'll just listen. I'll be all right. You, you know what? There, it's it's a High School Musical Disney film, but it seems to be the only film trilogy of musicals that exists. Mm, okay, which is really interesting. It was something I hadn't even thought about. Which is you get the odd musical sequel, but not. Very, very few films and musicals have sequels. Very, very few. It's quite weird. Um, Just a classic Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins 2. Is Mary Poppins 2 a musical as well? I've not seen it because I don't like Mary Poppins, which is another controversial controversial opinion here. (laughs) Is uh, I I think for what the film did, amazing. You know, changed a lot of what cinema was and it's so well put together. But Dick Van Dyke's atrocious. The music is all quite overrated (laughs) and the plot takes forever. It's like a two and a half hour movie. It's just Jesus... And also, I don't actually like Mary Poppins as a character. I think she's rude, abrasive, and annoying, um, mm. even though she is maybe a time lord, actually, which is quite a fun little fan theory. But Disney Discussions, um, that came out last week. Um, I've got a recording that will be out now. It's um, about finances and stuff, um, so very different. It's um, a gentleman from America. He's launched a finance app called Rapunzel, um, and that's all about teaching people. It's like gamifying financial education, especially trying to get uh, high school kids and other individuals to be more financially literate and Mm. we discuss how the repercussions of that can actually change the world so that's quite a fun uh, pod Uh, i've got one due for recording so you're you're going to be the only person who knows about this um but i'm letting your listeners know because obviously it's coming out in a couple weeks is i'm recording a podcast with my cousin's wife so does that make it my second cousin um i don't know she's the family she's been um she's been with my cousin longer than i've been with megan she's delightful she's called Paige. And um, she and my cousin Charlotte have a, co- a company called Buddy Pet and it's a dog walking company. So shout out to them and they walk Willow. And she's basically been doing a lot of qualifications recently about dog behavior. So hmm. the conversation isn't yet recorded. Um, so it, I've got the notes for it. I've sent the questions. She is going to be in person. Uh, she'll be next week. And we're going to talk about like dogs and dog behavioral stuff and like how to train dogs really and why she got into that. Um, so that'll be all what's coming out as well as, as you said, the Ahsoka show. So if people are watching Ahsoka or if people have not yet watched Ahsoka, like Jack, who's been doing a nice little rewatch of Rebels, which everyone should because Rebels is amazing. Mm. Um, I've done a weekly discussion show with a different guest every week talking about Ahsoka. Uh, most of them are fairly positive, but there's a few that are more critical of it, which is really good because I like a wide variety of stuff. Um, so that'll be done. And there's certain members of the Comics Emotion family that are involved in that. Styles Comics and Canon. I'm not going to go into my whole speed about that, but you could listen to that pod and never read a Star Wars comic in your life. So go check that out. Um, I think that's more or less everything. I think you'd like to follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat, uh, Instagram. I still say Twitter, even though it's X, but you know, mm. whatever, Twitter X. Um, Instagram, a little bit of things here and there on TikTok as well. Um, and you follow me on social media and you'll just get a general update on all the guest spots that I've been up to and the Star Wars episodes I'm releasing and genuine chit chat snippets I've been doing and subscribe on YouTube and get video versions of stuff as well. So I've got content figuratively and literally coming out of my ears. Mm. And if you want to support me, you can go to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat and you can get even more content from me. And you actually get to hear from Megan, who was missing on this episode, but joined us on Collateral and will be joining us for Meg and like six months <laughs> well, meg and absolutely what are you going to do when you run out of star wars content for comics and canon that day must be approaching it was um and then 
they were like, hey, here's a new crossover event. And now there's like coming up my ears again. Okay. Um, I have thought about this. In all honesty, I'm not going to, the amount of output I'm doing of podcasting is not sustainable um, mm. unless Megan ends our relationship, which we're getting married next year. So let's hope not. I could, I'm betting a lot of my life on the fact that that's not <laughs> going to happen. Um, but obviously, we're getting married next year. Um, so there'll be a bit of a deficit in August, but I'll get to that when we get there. Um, but when we eventually have kids and that sort of stuff, I'm going to mm. really wind back Styles Comics and Canon because yeah. Genuine Chit Chat is my lifeblood of my creative output and it adds the most to my life. And I can do that, you know, each week. That's easy to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna wind that back um, because yeah. reading four to six comics every week and writing notes about them, finding all the connections, recording the episode, doing all that. I have to do it on my lunch breaks and stuff. And when we eventually delve into having kids and stuff, I'm gonna have less time, so I'm gonna have mm. to utilize my lunch breaks at work for editing genuine chit chat instead of comics and canon. So I'm gonna wind that back. So I think basically I'm gonna do it full fledged until the end of the High Republic, which is end of 2025, and then I'm gonna figure out what I'm gonna mm. do. Um, so at the moment there's there's loads there's still i'm Fair actually enough. behind funnily enough i if if they stop releasing comics tomorrow i would have enough on just what i've got what's out at the moment probably until probably the end of the year okay wow uh, to be honest with you so yeah it, there, there's tons of it and every time i think i'm gonna catch up and then they go new comic series coming out so, oh god <laughs> like i love it but it, it's it's a huge yeah, amount of yeah. work. and also i do book reviews on there as well of mm-hmm. um a lot of stuff too so that kind of adds to it on top of that but at the moment every piece of high republic content phase one and phase two um i've now been uploaded bar like a short story collection uh and i'm going to continue through that and doing dark droids crossovers and all that stuff and try to catch up with darth vader although this will be another exclusive announcement for your show um i've realized there's a there's a series out in marvel this is deep cut nerd stuff but there's a series out in marvel for moon knight and someone else i think wolverine called black white and red mm-hmm. and they did it for darth vader recently um and there's four issues of it and i've just read them all so and each issue is short stories of darth vader and i've scoured through wikipedia uh, wikipedia um and i've looked through all my seemingly endless knowledge and being that in quotation marks i don't have an endless knowledge of star wars of darth vader and they're all of these stories are so individual mm. and they have no connection to any other star wars content really apart from really loose connections like there's a tie fighter in it which i've gone into tie fighters endlessly so i'm not actually going to do a normal episode of comics and canon for darth vader black white and red i'm not going to go through all the plot details because there's so, there's so much each comic mm. is like 30 to 40 pages long there's four of them and they're all short stories and one or two of them there's like no dialogue so i'd literally just be saying what's happening and the the art is so good so that's actually going to be a review i don't Mm. do comic reviews normally it's going to be a full-on review of things on that it's not going to be talking about connections because there literally aren't any it's Mm. just so that's a fun little thing as well yeah nice change up in the format yeah so if you're interested in styles people probably lapping this up if people are uh, who've never heard of me before are like why are you talking about star wars so much <laughs> this is about Nomeo and juliet chase to statham i don't want to hear about your that darth vader you big nerd sorry friends um but thank you jack for having me on i appreciate you letting me waffle and dig myself into a hole about many things and i hope people can forgive me for those those things because of my honesty but it's getting to watch this film just like collateral it's it's such a weird thing i would never have watched this film unless i did it for a podcast um and so i'm really happy i did actually watch this film genuinely and again thank you for this whole podcast because i adore listening i listen to every single episode inspired me to watch spy which is incredible it pushed me to watch crank which was an experience (laughs) and i'm going to 
delve into a few more Statham films as well uh, as we go. So it's it's just it's great fun. And I, if anyone's listening to this and they haven't listened to other films, um, other episodes, I'd encourage you to listen to them all because you're not going to watch every Jason Statham film. You're just not. If you haven't been doing it as you're listening along, you're not going to want to mm. do it. So I just say, listen to them all. And also, like, with the Meme Machine thing, I enjoyed the conversation on Meme Machine. I cannot remember anything about the plot of that film <laughs> from your podcast. <laughs> and that's no shade on your podcast. It's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, people, go listen to all the episodes because even if it's a film you haven't seen, even if you may even consider watching it one day, like, I'm probably going to watch Expendables sometime in my life, You, it doesn't ruin it in any way. So please listen to every episode of back to the filmography. If you've got this far listening to me right off about star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I appreciate that mate. And you know, I appreciate you and keep making that content because we know it, it is not just me and not just a couple of people. We all appreciate how much you're putting out into the world. It's a lot of work, but it does every time I think of winding it down, it's like, Oh no, people say nice things about me. So I'm going to, hmm. or get something out of it. You know, I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll wind back. And then a star Wars author's like, I'll come on your show. And I'm like, another year, another year of motivation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you. I do appreciate that. Yeah, keep it up. And thank you everyone else for listening and partaking in this journey with me through the Stace Filmography. That was the, the worth catching Romeo and Juliet. Next up in a fortnight is Blitz featuring the return of the 20th century geek Scott Weatherly, followed by Killer Elite featuring the second appearance of Stace superfan Glynn for anyone that is watching along. I've been I'm Jack's Musings, and that's J-A-C-S, and you can find me on X, where I'm most active. I have to remind myself, too. You can also contact the show directly on X under the name Back to the Filmog. Make sure you use the hashtag Follow the Filmography. I'm also a proud member of the Comics Emotion family, a super place full of the world's greatest people, dedicated to bringing you podcasts on a variety of geeky topics. So please make sure you take the time to search, subscribe, and rate our shows whenever and wherever you listen. Until next time, be excellent to each other, and make sure you take the time to treat yourself too. I am Jack signing off. Yippee-ki-yay, movie lovers. watch Nomeo, Juliet and Crank. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, mate. Thank you.